Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. So we should definitely pause, take a breath, and think about our options. And um, join you know, with other allies like our guest this morning, our first guest did, to create something that one can, something tangible, um, something that you build together. And this past weekend, oh, my goodness, um, our two guests, Claudia Alec and Deborah uh, uh, Eleazar, um, convened this wonderful gathering of, of artists, theater makers, to look at the future of ensemble theater. It was a digital convening September 12th and September 13th all day, 9 to 5, and it was just simply marvelous. I only caught, caught, caught about mm, a couple of few hours of, of Sunday, and and I think what you missed might be available. So um, we're just going to just brag and let them tell us stories about how it came together and just congratulate them on this wonderful, wonderful um, opportunity for artists to get together um, virtually, but even within that virtual space, it felt like we were together, together. Like, wow, there were no walls, you know, no virtual walls. It was kind of, you know, magical. So welcome to the show, both of you. <laughs> Thank you so you. much, Wanda. <laughs> sure. And and <laughs> and then ask you a question. It's okay if you if you run into each other verbally because you know we can't see each other. This is not a Zoom event. <laughs> <laughs> so that's perfectly fine. So I, I think what I'll do first is just um, introduce you, just sort of lay out your bios, and and then you know maybe we could talk a little bit about sort of where you are right now. You know, sort of like be in our bodies, be in this space. You know, um, autumn kicked in on the twenty second of this week, and and John Coltrane's birthday was the next day, and and we are like flowing in this you know, autumn equinox kind of period. <clears throat> and and we can go outside now, some of us, because it's not so smoky, but then the fires are still raging. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so where where do you find yourselves now in this moment? So, um 
So anyway, like I said, I'll read your bios, and and then we could just sort of take a temperature. There's so much happening now, you know, with uh, sort of, you know, the verdicts around Breonna Taylor's uh, killing and, yeah, yeah, and calls for massive protests until November, um, it's November 4th, November 3rd, you know, the day that we we officially um, exercise our options as citizens and vote. And I want to also remind people that just in case you didn't already do so, to make sure that you get counted, 2020 census, the deadline is the 30th, so make sure you do that as well. So Claudia Alec is a cultural producer, performer, and inclusion expert, and she is no stranger to Wanda's Picks, and we're so happy to have her back again to talk about BUILD. So welcome, Claudia. Thanks so much for joining us early morning like this. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> now, I believe the first Name. time I had the pleasure to be on here was uh, you were doing um, a retrospective on Intazaki Shange, and it was just gorgeous. Yes, 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 yes. Ah, yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful woman, you know, has left left such a legacy. It's one thing about, you know, theater arts and literature, you know, it's it's here forever, you know, it's here for the generations, it really, really changes lives in a way that is, you know, immeasurable. And, uh, yeah, that's why mm. art is so important. That's why artists are so important. Mm. So Claudia was named by American Theater Magazine as one of 25 theater artists who will shape American theater in the next 25 years. Whoa, what a charge, right? <laughs> Alec has served as the founding artistic director of Smoking Word Production, is a New York neo-futurist alum, published playwright, recipient of New York City's Fresh Fruit Directing Award, Tex X Fargo Speaker, and the Lilla Jewel Award for Women Artists, featured on HBO's Deaf Poetry Jam, and former community producer at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Maybe you might have some poetry for us. Claudia, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, do something off the dome, as they say. <laughs> at Oak, at uh, Oregon Shakespeare Festival for 10 years, she produced events such as the Every 28 Hours Plays, The Green Show, The Data List Project, and OSF Open Mics, as well as producing, directing audio plays with OSF, such as the Grammy-nominated Hamlet. Her personal projects include her podcast, Hold On, Wait for it. Uh, Vlog this week in cultural appropriation, street poetry, and one person show fill in the blank, exploring disability and the medical industry. Claudia served as served on Oregon Arts Leaders in Inclusion, the steering committee of the Ghost Light Project, the steering committee for Black Theater Commons. She is currently managing content with the Crew Revolution Black Female Leadership serves as co-president of the Board of Network of Ensemble Theater, collaborated on Unsettling uh, Dramaturgy, CRIP, and Indigenous International Digital Colloquium, and is on the advisory councils for the National Disability Theater, HowlRound, and Northwest Art Streaming Hub. Claudia Alex serves as founding executive producer of the... Oh, no, uh-huh. keep going. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Claudia Alex serves as founding executive producer of the 
transmedia social justice company Calling Up, whose projects include The Justice Quilt, We Charge Genocide TV, co-artistic direction of the Fury Factory Festival, and consulting and advising found funders and, this and is, companies. This is where I was gonna oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Sorry, just finished. <laughs> Um, go ahead. What, tell me. Oh, no, this was me interrupting. I love it when folks read my entire bio. I just realized I gave you an old bio. It's mostly accurate, oh. so you just keep reading. Please forgive me for interrupting. You're doing great. Oh, 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 darn. Well, you're going to have to, like, bring us up to speed. Like, we're missing things, right? <laughs> Are we missing some things? Um, let's see, co-artistic direction of the Fury Factory Festival and consulting and advising funders and companies around the country. Oh, I um, I got your bio from your website. That's what John told me to do. You did a beautiful job. I haven't updated that website since the beginning of the year because of this darn pandemic. You're doing beautiful, <laughs> and forgive me for interrupting you. Please no, read Deborah's no. bio. It is long and gorgeous as well. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, like, hey, we need to lay the foundation so people can know, like, these women are powerful, you know, don't mess with them. Um, Yeah. Thank you, Wanda. And, you know, Wanda, it's hard to keep up with Claudia because every week she's doing something new. So there you go. You know, even (laughs) Claudia can't keep up with Claudia. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're That's why you need to follow her, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like. Have your have your have your devices updating? It's like, oh, she moved again. Let me see what she's doing now. Exactly. Uh, Deborah. Oh, she moved too. Yeah. They moved together. Whoa. What they up to? <laughs> I need to be there. <laughs> and you can be there now with technology. <laughs> Unless Claudia and Deborah turn it off and like you can't follow them now. They are mm-hmm. they are resting, they are rejuvenating, they are building, you know, their their in in uh, internal reservoir so that they can give more. So, yeah. Deborah joined Fool's Fury in 2005 after departing as founding co-artistic director of Eclipse Dance Theater in San Francisco. Her first performing role with the company was in The Strange Case of the Jensen Files, written and directed by Yalom. In a short time, she became a core member of the company, co-creating, choreographing, and performing memorable roles in premieres directed by Yalom. Highlights include Monster in the Dark by Doug Dorst, The Devil on All Sides by, uh, is it Fabrice? Uh, how do you pronounce it? Yeah, Fabrice Melchio. Yeah, amazing Melchio. French French playwright. Mm. Mm-hmm. Port Out Starboard Home by... Sheila uh, Callahan. Callahan, and last year, yeah. uh, last year's uh, Dionysus was such a nice man by Kate Tarker. In 2016, she began development on her first solo show, drawing on her own story as a child of a first-generation immigrant to America, caught between cultures: Arab, Iraqi, Israeli, Jewish, American. Titled "Dis," in parentheticals, "Place." And then placed, and the and the D is in brackets, so displaced. The show has toured from San Francisco to London. Among her other credits, uh, El El uh, Eliezer, you're doing great. Eliezer, <laughs> Eliezer, you're doing great. <laughs> in, 
Thank you. Is an associate artist with Golden Thread Productions, beautiful company. She's worked with Women's Will. Oh, I love Women's Will. The Puppet Players, Marin Shakespeare Company, Antenna Theater, Boxcar Theater, and Traveling Jewish Theater. She holds a BA cum laude from San Francisco State University and a certificate in sound, voice, and music healing from the California Institute of Integral Studies. She is an alumna of Art Equity's National Facilitator Training and a participant in Theaters Advancing Social Change. And she serves on the National Steering Committee of the Middle East North African Theater Makers Alliance and the Alliance of Jewish Theaters Anti-Racist Committee. Well, so let's just take a breath and let that sink in. <laughs> so who wants to go first with, you know, sort of like give us a sort of a, a check-in, like what's going on with you? How are you? That's so loaded these days. I notice that even when I send an email and I ask people, how are you? I try to qualify it or something. It's so hard to encapsulate. Claudia, do you want to, do you want to check in or I can go? Oh, no. Well, go right ahead. I mean, I feel like you could tell that I'm not on my A game uh, with the interrupting I did with the introduction. I was like, oh, that, that, that's true. But uh, is that true? Um, uh, yeah, no, life is full. Life is hard. We're in the midst of a pandemic. And I think that in many ways we're in the midst of uh, a lot of chickens coming home to roost. You know, the, the uh, neglect of the climate crisis. There was, a, there was a knowledge that we were in the midst of a climate crisis that was going to have incredible uh, repercussions for regular people. But large corporations decided they wanted to keep making all their money. And so they kept things secret. They lied. And they created all kinds of really nonsense political narratives that made it make sense for us to keep allowing them to do the things they were doing. Um, and the climate, the climate's in crisis. We're having, you know, Australia was on fire. California was on fire. And that climate crisis is having gigantic impacts. That's part of the pandemic. We're in the midst of a racial injustice pandemic. Um, and, again, that's one that it didn't just happening today. It's been happening for a very, very long time. But this is the year where every single crisis has um, uh, really uh, exploded in a way that has uh, revealed that a lot of us are on our own. We need to work with each other. We're not going to be able to depend on uh, some uh, something that has hierarchical authority, something that has more power than us that's going to help us. We need to build something new for ourselves. So I, I just feel really grateful in this time of great chaos and literal death and mourning um, and struggle to fight for our lives in the midst of uh, literally living through a genocide. I'm very grateful to have artistic partners to build new hope, to build new uh, pathways for producing a new future. This is what we need to be doing. It's hard to keep hope in a time like this. It's hard to... And not just hope, empty hope. It's hard to keep um, a liberatory imagination and to be in space with people who um, have healthy practice and have, uh, and have a vision for the future that really includes all of us. So I was just really, really grateful to be able to collaborate with everyone who was involved in the Build Convening and everyone who's been involved in, in all of the projects that I'm working on right now. They really are something that's keeping me uh, steady. But the truth is, 
uh, life is very hard right now. I, I feel like I've said a lot. Uh, Deborah, you want to weigh in? Thank you so much, Claudia. Oh, my gosh. I'm, like, taking notes from my 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 partner, my colleague here, because um, everything is so relevant, what, what you're saying. Um, I guess the word that keeps coming up for me is complexification, and I really feel like, Claudia, you um, – you, you, you really named so much of it, like what we are going through um, and how um, these moments intersecting um, so, so keenly at this time are really just signals for what we've been going through. Uh, many of us uh, have been going through for a long, long time. I want to I wanna lift up what you said about relationships and how that has really been getting me through, and and really the idea of ensemble theater, which is what Fool's Fury and um, the field, the model of ensemble theater, we practice being in relationship with. So being in relationship with our mates, with our audience, with the subject matter, with the land on which we are working, um, with narrative, that is a key um, um, proponent of what is going to get us to the next place where we want to want to be. Um, so the so the, so the the work that I'm doing right now feels uh, rich and difficult and overwhelming and um, complex. And um, I am aware, as a um, mixed identity, white and um, Middle Eastern person that I could walk away from this at any time and um, my life would not be as affected as others and that that privilege like drives me back to the work because being in collaboration with uh, naming the truths that are happening in the world right now that is what gives meaning um, to my work so um and also the fact that I can um, lift up and amplify others that are doing such great work. Um, a lot, a lot is going down, and um, it is really the circles we draw and the connections we make on ho- on horizontal lines that are that are keeping my shit together, Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a little snapshot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, maybe we could talk a little bit about, you know, how how the two of you all have come to know and admire and build together literally and and how, you know, this 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 amazing convening um, you know, that took place over you know, the weekend of September 12th and 13th was just the start because there were ways for people to continue to be in being being a you know, in connection and in collaboration with one another, and uh, and I don't know. I it seems like you all were pretty representative. I don't think any voices were left out of the um, out of the conversation. Um, I think you tried to be really representative of who's making theater, um, um, you know, in in this country and you know beyond this country because it was virtual. Um, yeah, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about your relationship and 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 how you all built that, and then and then talk about you know this this vision that that you had and yeah, and just sort of tell us some stories. 
well, I, I can start off a little bit. I was on the board of the, well, I'm still on the board of the, I'm president, I'm co-president of the board of the Network of Ensemble Theaters. That, that, that thing from my bio is still true. Please remind mm. me at the end of this interview to, to give you a few more projects that we've been working on since I put that bio on the website. Um, yeah, so sure. uh, I was, I'm, I'm on the board, and uh, we were having some really deep conversations about the ensemble field as a whole um, and some places where we felt the ensemble field um, uh, was just, it just had some patterns of white domination Patterns of cultural appropriation, frankly, patterns of um, beautiful, gorgeous uh, theatrical production, but done in ways that were erasing where the practices were coming from, done in ways that were um, um, telling huge pieces of the population, you don't belong in our convenings. You don't belong as part of our group. You, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't think to come to us to apply for a grant. And it was very frustrating. Because uh, I recognized that um, there were huge uh, um, pieces of my community doing ensemble uh, work, but they didn't see themselves as doing ensemble theater. They were like, oh, that ensemble theater, that's this other thing that's fancy and outside of my practice. Um, so we were having all these conversations and really just having deep conversations um, around the old equity, diversity, and inclusion rubric. I will admit I now kind of resist that framework, but at the time we were really deep into it. And Ben Yalom, who was the, at that time, he was the co-artistic director with Deborah of uh, the Fool's Fury uh, company. And uh, we were having these conversations. And so later on, uh, you know, he gave me a call and he shared with me, well, actually one of the things he'd been doing this entire time was telling me I had to meet his co-artistic directing partner. Um, uh, you know, every time I said, he was like, okay, when you're at the TCG festival, you must meet Deborah Elias or you need to meet her. You need to meet this person. Uh, uh, and I recall being very excited to, 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 to meet this person. So I was like, wow, I've, I've heard so many wonderful things. Um, and then I was um, invited to give a little bit of advice on, A, how can the festival potentially, the, the Fury Shack, come more diverse, um, have more outcomes of diversity in its work? That's what I remember the, the initial request was. Like, oh, how can – and it was really a conversation about sharing all of the you – know, over the years, all of the different work that had been done. So that was a beautiful thing to hear, to go, right, this isn't a brand new thing. This is – this is work that's been done over time, but they were still failing. Um, and I made a very audacious statement. And at that time, I was kind of saying this audacious statement to any leader who asked me for advice. They'd say, hey, how can we have these more diversity outcomes? And I would say, well, you need to share power with the people that you're trying to put in your audience. You need to put somebody in charge and share with them the amount of power you have. And that is the only way you'll have those curatorial outcomes. And that was a rather audacious thing for me to say. Um, I didn't think that they would take me up on it. And then I got a call uh, inviting me to come into collaboration. Um, I should also name that around this time we were having conversations, I believe that I witnessed the Fury Factory Festival before I was invited to, to come into collaboration with you. Uh, that was part of a project I was doing called Hashtag Walkabout, where I was going all over the United States, witnessing what, uh, what I felt would be the most useful learning opportunities for justice making and cultural production, and especially in terms of design. You know, how were people designing events, designing their programs, um, and, and with, the goal, with these particular goals and who was succeeding? And if they were failing, why were they failing? How were they failing? Um, and I recall... Um, witnessing some amazing work 
um, being really impressed with the, um, the, the work in progress series done in collaboration with LMDA. Um, the, the, the really intentional work I saw with creating community around these ensemble performances. So, you know, I was able to witness some work done with the queer community, um, some work done with the Asian community, and, um, and then I also sat on a, um, a panel um, because, you know, I was there. I was, I, I'd flown in to see the show, and they were like, oh, hey, please, you, you should, while you're here, you should be on this panel. It was a panel on um, um, liveness. And, um, and presencing, and I was speaking about transmedia producing. So um, um, just shout out to Fool's Fury for being a little prescient and ahead of the game. They were holding some convenings talking about producing models that we're using today. They were doing that um, uh, two years ago. Um, and so that's sort of how I came into encounter with Fool's Fury. Um, uh, Deborah, I just spoke a lot. I, I, I'm wondering if you want to just give maybe a little more background. I do want to just talk about what we did with Build even more, but I did want to give background for, like, how do we even get into this? <laughs> Thank you so Thank much, you. Claudia. <laughs> yeah, so um, it, exactly. That, that is sort of how we started collaborating. Um, we recognize, you know, we're a very small company, we are between a hundred and hundred and thirty-five thousand dollar budget, and we're in San Francisco. So let's just take a pause right there. We've been <laughs> we're in our twenty-second year, and that's the budget we work on. But we have a big mouth and a big reach, and we continue to identify as um, as folks who are uh, we want a seat on the national table. Um, we feel that the work uh, that we do isn't just about um, the work that our internal artists are making, it has um, uh, our work is stronger if we have um, a voice on the national. If we offer the the field at large um, a way to convene and a way to get together, because we are the mo- we are in the model of ensemble theater, which is a lesser known model in this country, but um, quite. Um, well known in other in other cultures, uh, where you work with people over a long period of time, and as I said before, we we emphasize relationships. So the idea of being small and nomadic, which means we don't run a theater space, means at times what we ha- what we lack in financial resources, we have we have in um, uh, the ability to be nimble and make decisions quickly. So when we heard that from Claudia, we jumped on this, and we <laughs> Ben was quite uh, direct in saying, oh, well, that is so so true, Claudia. Let's share power with you. And so we invited Claudia to actually design and model the guest director festival uh, position. And wrapped up in that, of course, was this, this initial object, objective to further diversify the artists that were applying to our festival and but of course, what came out of that was so much more, which was really the interrogation of our um, of our of our own practices um, and as a company, and then how and what is most important to be amplifying and working on um, as we move forward. And of course, this was all pre-pandemic. So in the pandemic, uh, Claudia was was hired to curate a festival and produce it with us as a co-artist, as an, as a artistic director on the same level as, as at that time, um, Ben Yalom and myself. 
So that's what we were working towards. And we curated um, a beautiful roster of artists. We increased our diversity by to 30% from like eight or 10. Like we had, we were like feeling good about this. And then the pandemic hit and the Fury factory was going to bring generally brings 20 companies from all over the nation to San Francisco. It has, convenings where we have dialogues um, of what's important or juicy topics of the, um, the model of ensemble theater. It has um, workshops and it has, um, as Claudia referenced, it has two different performance tracks. It has a main stage fully extant shows that you can watch that have been mounted before. And it also has this pretty unique to us, we think, uh, raw materials track, which is works in progress. So that just means bring 10 to 30 minutes of whatever you're working on and show it to an audience. And, and I can talk more about the dramaturgy path of that maybe a little bit later, but what's important, because I really, really want to amplify that too. So what we did is we kind of early on in April, we just called it and we said, this isn't going to happen in July of 20, 2020. What can we salvage? What can we do? And I think because we're the company that we can think about things and improvise, that's part of what we do in our training. Um, I said, look, we can definitely do the convening. Claudia said, of course, I can do that with my eyes closed because <laughs> she's an amazing producer. And, um, and then we sort of created these art shares. And the art shares were uh, are these basically postcards from the artists that we had curated um, and invited them back to say, look, what is, what were you going to present to us in this live festival that we cannot do now? What are you doing now? And what is the future of ensemble? And we asked people to do that in four and a half minutes. And we also, I'm in a continuation of, the, I, I'm talking a lot, so just jump in here at any point. Oh, well, no, no, I was going to tap in on the, uh, um, uh, on the, on the art share, because what I'm, yeah, I'm go also ahead. recalling, uh, you know, as we were producing this, you and I had slightly different producerial instincts. My producerial instinct is, is to have a gigantic table, invite every single person to it. It's really ridiculous. I'm like, hey, every single person who was going to be a part of the Fury Fact, everybody, come to a table, and then everybody tell me what you'd like to do. We'll just hear everybody say all of the things, and then we'll find a way to say, yes to every single thing everybody wanted to do. That's often my progestorial and curatorial path, um, which is ridiculous. And what I love is that Deborah was so flexible. Deborah was like, wait, you want to do what? You want to invite all of the artists that we, we had booked for the, fe- for the festival. And, okay, so we're going to get them all on a Zoom call, and, and, and then we're just going to dream together. Okay. And we dreamed, we dreamed big, and, and they were ridiculous dreams. But they were dreams for what did we actually want to manifest for ourselves? But they were also moments for us to recognize that coming together as artists and reflecting on what we were going to do, it was so joyous. That first meeting, that first convening dreaming we had with the artists 
um, from all over the country. It felt like we were hugging over the phone. It felt like we were touching each other. And it felt like um, we were mourning a little bit because everyone was telling us the story of what they were going to have done. And, and it was all of us having that penny drop moment of, because this was, this was also the moment where Deborah and I were letting them know with great clarity, hello, artists, we're definitely, like, we let you know almost immediately. Again, shout out and a really proud leadership moment for the Fool's Factory Festival for canceling the festival so quickly. Like, that was a decisive leadership choice. It was a choice for safety. It was also a choice that a lot of theaters at the time were not able to make as quickly because they were, they were like, well, we, we think we might be able to. We're going to. And, and as a company, Full Story recognized they, they saw what was happening. And they listened to me, and I've been doing a bunch of national work, and we were able to make choices quickly. So just proud of that. Um, but that convening dreaming, that was, that was the seed that gave me the idea of, oh, how can I, how, how can we say yes to all of the artists, greedy, and, and have them give us everything? And my first pitch was, let's do a Pecha Kucha. Let's have every artist do a Pecha Kucha presentation where they will do photos and, and present their work. Um, and, uh, and Deborah was like, I like that, but um, can we move that a little bit? And that's how we came up with that format for the art share. And, and then the uh, LMDA component um, uh, that, that came with that was just so dynamic. Can you talk a little bit about the LMDA collaboration and, and how they connected with the art share? And what, what yeah, is absolutely. LMDA? Absolutely, Wanda. LMDA is the literary managers and dramaturgs of the Americas. And for the people who are on this, listening to this who are not theater folks, you may not have heard the word dramaturg or dramaturgy before. It is, I would say, in this country, an emerging, still an emerging um, position in the theater where the, the person is... Um, the liaison between the narrative, the, the creation-making process, and the audience. So it's a really interesting, it's almost like the audience advocate and can take a lot of different roles um, from doing actual research about a certain content within a play or is just simply a listening ear to um, a collaborative process or a, or a playwriting process with a single playwright as they write their play. Um, so we have my, my questioning in Fool's Fury for many, many years has been sort of what is the role of dramaturgy in the model of ensemble and devised theater for people who largely uh, either recreate classics or extant plays and mark them as their own style or people who actually just create plays from the ground up um, and plays that are spanning many, many disciplines, puppetry, circus, dance. Uh, you know, text, uh, using all manner of technology, we consider all of this theater. So um, what, does, what is the role of that dramaturg and dramaturgy in these works as they're in the model of ensemble theater? So, so LMDA and myself and the amazing Nikita Edamad, um, we've been working for several years on this. And what we do in the live Theory Factory Festival with, when we're all in person, we um, match dramaturgs with, uh, and some of them are, you know, from all over the place, and they actually come in to do this work um, at, with the visiting, um, the visiting theater artists. And then they do a talk back, and they also do some written material around 
the experiences they're having with the work. So it serves to amplify the work of the artist, and it also helps dialogue with the audiences because the work-in-progress showings are what I call an ablutionary exercise. It takes you to the next step of your work. So if you're going to um, – so, if he, so the conversation with the audience is so important, and the dramaturgs curate that. They, they facilitate that conversation beautifully, and we have a whole format for that. Well, I talked to Nikita, um, who works with LMDA, and she's the regional, um, the regional facilitator for LMDA. Uh, and I said, what can we do together? And we immediately identified that the global aspect of going digital was going to be so exciting. So we created a format called microturgy, which we like we chuckle about <laughs> because it's gonna be so small the amount of interaction that we that these dramaturgs can have with these artists who are making four and a half minute um, art shares digitally. But we they would spend an hour with the the artist um, some spent more, of course, get to know them, figure out how to help support their work, and then they would create a word cloud, you know, which is a visual image of words, of the impressions that they had of working with them. And then further, we would amplify the personal dramaturgs by creating a calling card and um, showing that. So the, the word cloud and the calling card for each of the dramaturgs um, uh, appeared as part of the art share for each of those individual pieces. And we had 18 different um, ensembles or artists sharing their work throughout the two-day conference. So I just, yeah, go ahead. Well, one of the things that was really delightful uh, uh, about having the art shares, um, that, and, I, and I know that we were thinking about this, but the convening itself, it's really hard to do an online convening. It's hard. It's hard to gather a, a large group of people to do thoughtful ideation work for mm. their conferences at fancy hotels with delicious food. It's because it's actual hard work. It's exhausting work. It's work where you want to take people away from where they are so they can go to some place and really concentrate on the subject at hand. Um, and, and some of those uh, comfort factors of the physical space of the conference, they're really useful. So an online convening, that's hard to do. And Deborah and I, this convening was incredibly ambitious. Um, it was doing, it was saying and doing really powerful work in terms of racial justice and economic justice. And it was literally um, creating some um, stepping stones, some learning tools for, for ensembles to really rebuild themselves. And this was from us listening to ensembles and hearing what they needed and being artists ourselves in the country and understanding what we need to survive in the world. That build convening was a bunch of folks coming together for our own survival, but also it was visioning a future in which we're not surviving, we're thriving, where what we're doing is the dominant model. And those art shares were utterly, not only necessary moments of, oh, we just had this incredibly intense hour of learning. Now we get to like indulge in beautiful art making, but also it was giving us a, um, a vision of what the future could be. 
for all of our art practices because it was such a diverse group of artists. It was um, allowing us to really understand where all these art groups were right now. It was almost like an experiential survey where, you know, some artists, when they were showing us the, their practice in the moment, it was simply them showing us pain, showing us loss showing us grieving, showing us healing. Some were showing us innovative new techniques. Others were showing us the ways they were returning to find ways to connect with, through analog. Um, so, so just shout out to that programming flow. And then just a gigantic shout out to our entire team, like Lorenz um, uh, Kadar, who ran our OBS. But Lorenz um, is the uh, marketing director, communications marketing director for Fool's Fury. And he had a, a big passion for using the Hop and Two platform. And it was such a good idea for us to do our project, not only inside one digital space, but inside five or six different digital spaces that were knit together on one platform. Um, that's what allowed us, I think, to do the work durationally over time, over two full days. Yeah, thank <laughs> yeah, you. Thank you for mentioning really our cute. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, you know, it allowed people to connect with each other in the moment, like the, the, the hop-in platform. And we, um, we also vetted our platforms to make sure that they were aligning with our values um, and how we were working um, with all of our um, technologies. But thank you, Claudia, for, for bringing up our amazing team. Um, we were all, in a sense, doing something we'd never done before, and it takes a lot of people. It, you know, Lawrence Gonzalez, Kadar Lawrence, uh, doing the OBS, um, Open Broadcast System software, I don't even know all the terms, and some of it was alchemical, Wanda, what they were doing behind the scenes. I want to give a big shout-out to our interns. We have a very strong internship program, and we, we work with interns over a long period of time, so we'll often hire them back, you know, and they become long um, and, and support their work in, in so many ways. But it was important for us to give responsibility to young folks because this technology and this platform is not going away in the in theater. You know, we are in a new world now where we are we need to train up young people to to take more responsibility and understand that there are new positions in theater now and um some of them are like digital producers. And um so we we talked a lot about that when we were um when we were uh, creating creating what this was going to be. I also want to say, you know, we had over 3,500 people watch this, either through the Hopping platform, wow. Facebook Live, or HowlAround. And that, for, for a company, a tiny company in the Bay Area, we have a reach, but we do not have that reach. <laughs> we have well, never had also, that many people in our audience. Also, for and such, so this was a huge... Yeah, yeah, of course, for such an esoteric subject, um, the fact yeah. that that many people were into what we were doing, because, like, we got super nerdy, like, like the, and this was your passion, Tabora. like, I love that you made sure, because you were the one that was like, we need to have this, uh, we need to do something around economic justice, and suggested the panel, and um, uh, that was, that was super, um, uh, that was just, that, that was math, that's the racial wealth divide, that's, that's numbers, mm -hmm. Um, and folks are passionate. Yeah, about thanks. It. Thanks for bringing that up. I think that one thing in our debrief uh, that we talked about this week was how that one thing that was successful for us is that we were very clear on what this needed to be about. It was about 
racial justice and economic justice. And everything in the program had had to follow in line with that. And and the beautiful thing was that, and it was within the model of ensemble theater. However, many other folks were, as you can see from the numbers, were tuning in, you know, and, and from, um, from 35 states in the country and um, all kinds of, uh, I have the numbers, I'll pull them up somewhere, um, all kinds of um, countries, you know, and then the dramaturgs were also from four different countries, you know, and um, so we just, we did this thing that Claudia talked about, which is that we just kept opening it up, opening it up and bringing more people and more voices into the mix so that that just really creates a horizontal dialogue where everyone has shared power and everyone understands that they have shared responsibility for the way we're going to walk in, into the theater that we're going to make in the future. And I just want to say once again that the model of ensemble theater, we have a strong relationship. It, usually each individual theater tends to come up with some kind of training process that they do. Some of it is very physical. Some of it is puppetry. Some of it is dialogue-based. They're all kinds of different things, but they all relate to a, being in a relationship with discomfort. And so that's a, that's a, that's a model of interrogation and how we all work uh, to push to our edge because we know that's where transformation occurs. So that, I feel, is one of the most important things we as ensemble theater makers can be giving to society right now because we have a societal contract. We are a nonprofit, and we can talk about the nonprofit industrial complex, but our relationship to our society is a contract that, that makes us responsible for being culture makers. What are we putting out in the world? Who are the bodies who are in the room? What are the ways that a predominantly white organization such as myself, even though I'm mixed, we really have great privilege, even as a small, tiny company with a very little budget? How are we uh, uh, responsible for undoing systemic oppression, and that we can see this now as an opportunity. This is a moment, and the moment is to reach out horizontally and to reach across sectors, to reach across to the artists, and to, um, and to as Claudia said earlier, is to continue to go towards hope, you know. Um, yeah, so thank you. Yeah, so I have a question. Um, I wanted to actually um, maybe talk more specifically about, you know, some of your um, keynote speakers and um, and also these various companies that, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. I want to just read mm-hmm. the conference schedule to our audience that wasn't able to make it. And also I wanted you to give our, um, our listening audience uh, information on how they might be able to watch some of these um, sessions, um, also how to stay abreast of what's happening, um, you know, post-build, because, you know, building is something that's going to continue. Um, and, um, yeah, so people can sort of be be in the loop. But uh, in the schedule on Saturday uh, the 12th, 
it says the foundation, racial justice, and and you have these morning sessions, um, nine to twelve, and the networking and opening remarks, and then the art share one, which you mentioned, and then again, Christina Wong was the keynote speaker, and then there were anti-racist action circles. There was a lot of interaction because I, I'll, I'll tell you where I come in on Sunday. Um, then the afternoon session on the first day was one to five, and the um, uh, I guess the the groups were uh, strength through alliance, culturally specific organizations, and then there was an art chair too, and then aesthetic equity and ensemble theater, a foundation in racial justice, and then art chair three. With, uh, Allison and then, Cruz, yeah. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. And then the power of community meet your service organizations. Um, give people some tools. Yeah, which was Theater Bay Area. Theater Bay Area, which is our local service organization for theater, um, doing amazing anti-racist work right now. Um, And uh, LMDA, the Literary Managers and Dramaturgs of the Americas, and the Network of Ensemble Theaters, as well as all of the cultural-specific organizations. You could drop in on them and say hello to them. And um, we even had uh, music from a um, Brooklyn-based organization called Make It Balance that are doing great work in their community that we wanted to uplift as well. Hmm. Nice, nice. So the whole day was Sunday. about people. Yeah, I don't know if, Claudia, you want to talk about um, the, the the memorial video. That also happened on Monday. I mean, excuse me, on, oh. on the first day on Saturday. Hmm. Uh, well, yes, yeah, we began the show with an in-memoriam video that honored um, you know, just folks that we had lost in the field. Um, um, but please go ahead and talk us through the second day. You, I, you're doing a beautiful job. Keep going because you're keeping us on track. I love it. Okay. And then also uh, I definitely want you to mention the um, virtual altar, uh, Claudia, um, mm, as well mm-hmm. when I finish because that's not here in the list. Okay. So um, September 13th, new models in a new era, economic justice. That's where I come in. Uh, Miss the morning session from 9 to 11, networking, opening remarks, art chair 4, Labor ethics and finance reform in a new era was popular yeah. morning. Yeah, um, and if you want to comment there before I move into the afternoon, which is where I come in, <laughs> do you want oh, to? Oh yeah. Anything? Oh gosh. Well, well, please go right ahead, Bora. Yeah, just basically, <laughs> um, I, I mean, especially in the wake of AB five in California, and this was pre-pandemic. I was like, I need my people we need to discuss this because for a small company, this is challenging, even though idealistically uh, I'm, we're aligned with it. It's like, how do you actually do? Uh, and for those of you who don't know, it's basically the gig economy, the, the, the bill that was passed. Um, it, it, and then it brought up sort of an, I opened up the, the idea of like, well, let's really talk about what is this, what are other practices and ways that we can be ethically responsible for the way that we deal with labor in the nonprofit industrial complex, which is often in the nonprofit world, you know, this idea that you just are bleeding heart, you're going to work much longer than you're paid for, and you're not going to, and you're going to get peanuts for it, and you're not going to complain because, you know, you're doing what you love, quote unquote, and it, and that is just used over and over again to subjugate and and oppress and perpetuate systems that don't don't serve us. So I really wanted us to have a frank conversation about that. So we brought in the amazing Brian Kushner, Pamela Capalad, uh, Capalad um, Amy Smith, and Park Cofield to create a, 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 an 
facilitated by the amazing facilitator, Tierra Allen, um, local, to, and these folks are coming from Philly, they're coming from New York, they're coming from all over to um, talk about labor ethics and finance reform, and we had such a wonderful dialogue there. And then Pamela and um, Brian Kushner, a.k.a. MC Dialect, uh, did a workshop on the new common sense, using art to bridge the waste, racial wealth divide, uh, which was on fire. And people started getting really comfortable voicing <laughs> what they needed to say. And those, uh, the, the, the labor ethics and finance reform and so much of what was broadcast can be found on HowlRound, H-O-W-L-R-O-U-N-D. And if you look up Build From Here or look up Fool's Fury, you will find uh, the amazing streaming work that HowlRound, our long-term partner, and amazing work that they do, um, did for us and um, amplified. And it's just, just there for anyone to enjoy at this time. And we're, we're still in the midst of doing editing work to create some uh, individual clips. But if you want to check out the, um, the Build From Here in Memoriam video, which was created um, in a real ensemble fashion. It, w- it was um, funded by the Network of Ensemble Theaters. Thank you so much for their support. Um, Adam Astral Tehran was like the lead uh, video designer. I wrote text, um, but a lot of the text was, um, it came from the community. So um, uh, Camila Forbes from the Apollo Theater, uh, Jerry Stropnicki from Bloomsbury Ensemble, um, uh, uh, Ben Yalom, um, um, so many artists. Um, contributed to make that in memoriam video. Um, uh, later on in the day, you know, we had a moment where we were um, trying to trying to help people understand that our entire field is not it's an exercise in ensemble. And the truth is, the foundation really is ensemble just uh, um, is is racial justice. So we had uh, groups like Unsettling Dramaturgy, who work with Indigenous and uh, disabled dramaturgs. We had uh, Black Theater Commons. We had Latinx Theater Commons. We had um, the Arts Administrators of Color. Um, um, I, I feel like I'm possibly missing um, um, names yeah, of we had organizations. The, um... Mayna. Yeah, we had the uh, the Alliance for Jew- Jewish uh, Theaters, uh, and we also had Menatma, which is, this is the inaugural ne- year. Um, I happen to sit on the, the committee, so I'm excited. It's the Middle Eastern North African Theater Makers Alliance. So the identity of Middle Eastern theater makers being amplified in an organization that crosses many different heritages, cultural, faiths, everybody who's working in the United States here, check out uh, menatheaters.org, uh, I believe it is. So, um, yeah, please, uh, menatheater.org. So, um, just great. We just really felt like those culturally specific organizations needed a platform in order to talk about what they're doing and how amazing they are. Um, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed um, the. Uh, um, the, I guess I came in at 12-ish, and, and I was there until the very end. I couldn't figure out how to get to the um, to the after party, but I was there until that session ended, and it was really, really, really great, um, the uh, the new common sense, um, using art to, build, to bridge the racial wealth divide. And and what I really am producing in pandemic uh, transmedia and ensemble creation, but I really really love the art chair uh, six 
and the closing session, um, you know, building the, the blueprints. And, and um, Claudia, you were really, really, a, both of you were really great in facilitating the discussion. Oh, man, it was just so nice watching in those four minutes. They did so much in four minutes, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, with the slides and they? the videos and it was just like, whoa, yeah. it was just amazing. It was amazing. Thank you. I'm so nope. glad you caught that number six. Um, selfishly, because that was full series was in the last one, too. I'll just say that <laughs> in terms of where we're going in the future, yeah, full series is um, we're working on a decolonizing practice. It's called the Library Project um, in collaboration with oh, Katie yes. Pearl. And, yeah, that was and so we're, we're sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, that was. That was you all. Okay, because my notes are so Yeah, long. that's full cool Oh, that was so, so good. Yes. Thank you. We're just really working at uh, looking at um, the library and, like, archives mm-hmm. and what are the stories that have been suppressed, marginalized, how are we going to center them, and what are the – how are we going to remember who, what are the stories we're going to tell seven generations in the future? So we're really mm-hmm. looking at that. And it's about, it's a very amusing, uh, it's coming into a very amusing uh, play process about taking a tour through a library where the librarians have gone rogue and they are completely decolonizing <laughs> what it is to have a library. So that's what's um, coming I, up for Fool's Fury. I love that. I'm I'm really proud of uh, Build. And what I love about transmedia producing is that it allows us to do this thing that is time-based, that is, um, that's really about this moment. And then we, it allows us to capture it so that others can learn from it and build from it. So I really hope that people will take advantage, will um, uh, asynchronously attend some of these sessions and, and hear some of the really amazing uh, uh, knowledge that was shared on these panels. Um, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll take some of it and start integrating it into their own practice. For those who are doing classroom work, I think they should be sharing the art shares in their classrooms. It's only as a way to share some of the different dynamic ways people are able to create work and connect and collaborate online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would just say, as I've mentioned, Wanda, thank you. I love to hear the excitement of you being present with it. Um, that's a, such a gift to hear. And I also just want to say we paid, we were committed to paying every participant who was involved, and we paid 68 people who were involved in the convening. And I've I've already said <laughs> how little our company uh, runs on. So it's kind of like fumes. So, um, you know, we're in the process of right-sizing our budget. If you want to help a company to um, who is interrogating uh, uh, racial, racial justice, uh, coming to our terms with what that accountability is and really changing the San Francisco Bay Area and the national scene of theater, please give to Fool's Fury foolsfury.org. We need your help right now because we have to, we have a fundraising campaign that is just about to start. And if you want to see the future of ensemble and the future of theater, come back and come back with an alignment of anti-racist practice, please, please help us do that. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you Wanda for having this conversation. And, and, and before oh, we close really out, lovely. I just also want to yeah. do I also want to do a big shout out. So yes, 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 support Fool's Fury. Also support Calling Up Justice. Um, this has been a gorgeous collaboration between our two practices, and that fills me with such joy. Um, um, uh, you know, the entire point of collaborating with Fool's Fury was to do an experiment to see can we 
model that will help this company um, um, uh, level up into what the field is going to need now. And I really feel like Deborah has um, um, evolved and really leaned into it. And, and in many ways, this was already the path you were on, Deborah, but you really have leaned into it and you're doing the work. Um, and, and, the, and, and so just support the company, yes, yes, and yes. But also, I just want to do a big shout-out for the Calling Up Justice practice. Um, Sabina Uni was um, a production assistant mm-hmm. on Build. Um, she's part of our company. We're so proud of her work. Um, you can currently uh, – you can check out Producing End Pandemic. We do that every single Monday. Every Monday we meet at oh, right. 10 o'clock. And we do a peer exchange session. That panel mm-hmm. that you witnessed, we do something like that every single week um, where we are exchanging practice and, 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 just, and just working on producing end pandemic, best safety practices, best digital producing practices, all of the different mm-hmm. ways to do this work. Um, um, also, we've do, been doing gaming for justice. So if you want to go to twitch.tv slash calling up justice, you can check out gaming for justice, uh, calling up justice's <laughs> new uh, silly project. Um, and we're continuing to do a lot of digital production design, and we're focused on working with black, indigenous, and people of color. So we're just asking all black, indigenous, people of color, uh, digital artists out there, contact the Calling Up Justice practice. Email us at callingupjustice at gmail.com and let us know if you would like to. If, are you an editor? Are you, um, are you a, 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 do you create a digital collateral? Are you a visual designer? Um, are you just an actor and you want to figure out how to do this? Contact us. Get involved. We are centering black, indigenous, people of color. Um, uh, if, we, if we do not build our power now, we will never be able to build our power. So I'm like, let's take the mm-hmm. reins and, um, and, and have the next generation of producers and leaders and cultural producers be centered on racial justice. Hmm. Word. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Go to Claudia's Patreon page and just be a patron of Claudia. <laughs> right. Carla, uh, Claudia, spell your last name for people. Oh, I'm Claudia Alex, C-L-A-U-D-I-A-A-L-I-C-K. And they can go to ClaudiaAlex.com for more links and information to connect to ProducingInPandemic.com. We charge Genocide.tv and all of the other myriad beautiful projects we, we collaborate on. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, my next guests are in the studio, so I'm going to have to say farewell for now. But thank you both so much for, uh, gosh, for debriefing with us. Wow, so exciting yeah. and so wonderful to, you know, um, to have this work now as, you know, something that people can, can reference and in the continuing work that both of you and your companies and your projects are all about. Hey, thank, thank you, you, Wanda, for, for this, this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're quite welcome. Um, you take good care. Bye-bye. Right. Bye now. Bye. Peace and blessings. Who knows why the blue winds blue floating oars floating oars Who knows why the right winds right floating oars floating oars He knows what makes white fish fly why the shrimp stays up all night? Why jellyfish just 
hang around and why the clownfish clown floating on all sorts of stuff when I had ex- had enough floating on all kinds of things why the blue Come float with me upon the sea Where we'll be happy as can be Have adventures, talk to seals Make friends with electric eels We can tease the manatees Learn how to make a crab say please Lodi knows such things as these I'll teach you what the seaweed sees And how to speak anemones Come flow with me upon the sea Where we'll be happy as can be Come flow with me upon the sea Where we'll be happy as can be Come flow with me mm-hmm. Come float with me, wow Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are <laughs> we are joined in the studio, playwright uh, Tanya. Is it Schaffer or Schaefer? Schaefer, thanks. Schaefer. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Looking forward to talking to you about Manatee on Mars. And thank you so much, uh, Giovanni Rodriguez, director, for sending me the song. Wow. Thank you. That This was a yeah. great way to kick off the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, happy to yeah, be here. Tell, sure, sure. So tell us I don't know how to pronounce the composer's uh name. Um so tell us uh the composer's name. Uh Rindy Eckert. Rindy Eckert, yeah, yeah. Wow, so this particular play is remote theater in partnership with Playwrights Foundation. I don't know remote theater, but I do know Playwrights Foundation. And there's going to be a virtual reading, a one-time only virtual reading of of the play, the new play about autism um, by uh, playwright Tanya Schaefer, uh, again, directed by Giovanni Rodriguez. Um, Tomorrow, Saturday, September 26th at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, and it's a free registration link, um, which I'm not going to tell you, but you can go on the website and click on it. (laughs) And um, so I'm going to just maybe read your bios first, and then we could jump right in to talking about about this play that uh, uh, it takes this topic or theme from, you um, you know, around autism spectrum, Disorder, and and on the anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and um, yeah, and and about these these two two theaters that are coming together to allow those of us um, in the audience to be able to witness and and see this play. I I mean I didn't get a chance to finish it because I started reading it too early in the morning, and I had to get some <laughs> sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but I really enjoyed what I did, what I read, and I was just like appalled by the public school system. Like, what? What? Uh, it was horrible. And I'm like, 
Yeah. Is this true? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it probably is true. So, Tanya, your plays have been produced by Berkeley Repertory Theater, Theater Works, San Diego Repertory Theater, and a contemporary theater, and have toured to more than 40 cities in the U.S. and Canada. Your musical, The Fourth Messenger, a collaboration with composer Vienna Ting, enjoyed sold-out runs in Berkeley, Taiwan, and the New York Musical Festival, where Time Out New York, Playbill, and Spoiled New York City all dubbed it one of the must-see shows of the 2017 festival. She has co-written two shows for the Tony Award-winning San Francisco Mime Troupe. Oh, which ones? Uh, Ripple Effect was the most recent one, and then the earlier one was Social Work, which was quite a while ago. <laughs> hmm, nice. Ripple Effect, Ripple which one was that one? That was about, I don't think what year it was. It might have been 2013, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In this second, I'm, I'm literally blanking on what it was about. I know that I co-wrote it with Michael Sullivan, Michael Jean Sullivan, and right. and Eugenie um, <laughs> And, oh boy, what is up with my brain cells? <laughs> I know yeah. that I actually wrote an autism spectrum character. Oh yes, it had to do with with the computer industry because the character was a programmer. Hmm. Okay, it'll come to me. Oh, I remember okay. my character. I still can't remember the story. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. People yeah. can look it up. The San Francisco Mime has a great website. <laughs> yeah. And you. And you are the author of the critically acclaimed travel memoir, Somebody's Heart is Burning, A Woman Wanderer in Africa. Oh, that sounds great. What year did that come out? That came out in 2003, which was also the year my first child was born. So I always call that my most productive year ever. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was 10 years after I had spent a year uh, volunteering and traveling mostly in West Africa. So it took me 10 years mm-hmm. to write the memoir about that experience. But, yeah. Oh, wow. Because that was where I saw my, my first manatee. It was in a oh, – um, I just don't know where. Like, where was I? Like, what part of West Africa was I in to see the manatee? I can't remember. Oh. I mean, was it Nigeria? Was it Ghana? Um, I don't, I don't know, remember. But Ghana is where I lived for uh, over six months, and where I did a bunch mm-hmm. of uh, volunteer work in the villages in Ghana. Wow, cool mm-hmm. that you also traveled there. Ghana is very, yeah. very dear to my. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but because I don't, I don't think it was in East Africa that I saw the manatee, but I had never heard of the manatee, and and sort of like the myths, you know, like sort of the mermaid. It was like seen as like a, almost like. In you know, a person, you know, like, and, yeah, it was, mm-hmm. like, really, yeah, and it was, like, so peaceful, and, like, why are you killing them, you know? Um, yeah, <laughs> and so, and so I, for I the manatee to come up again, see. you know, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, sorry, I just said I never got to see a manatee when I was there. That's really cool that you saw one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I looked it up. I was like, what is a manatee on Mars? Like, I know Mars, that's a planet, but manatee? And it's like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Because, I, I, you know, when I saw the picture, when I looked it up, I was like, oh, yeah, wow. 
So anyway, <laughs> it was exciting to be reacquainted yeah. with, with, you know, with, uh, with the manatee. Yeah, and and that you wrote a play, you know, with with it, you know, sort of central to the story about this little boy, um, an older boy. Um, and Giovanni Rodriguez, director, is a writer and producer across different media, theater, journalism, and video. He is the founder and artistic director of Remote. Oh, it's your company. You see, I haven't read this bio before. <laughs> Remote theater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A project born yeah, during the pandemic to, show, <laughs> to showcase the work of leading performing artists using remote video technology. Okie doke. In theater, Giovanni has focused on developing new plays and quasi-theatrical events that explore the merger of live performance and video. Yeah, you're perfect for this time. You know, just like waiting to be, yeah. the time was waiting yeah. to catch up with you, right? <laughs> well, that's what I'm telling myself, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like you talk about positioning yourself to like be able to take advantage of the moment. You are the one, like remote theater, like everyone's going to be calling you up. <laughs> I hope His so, now yeah. legend. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we hope so, yeah, totally. His now legendary production, yeah. uh, writer and director of The Retrial of Lizzie Borden, featuring Chief Justice William H. Rehnquist and Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, broadcast live on C-SPAN with an overflow of 4,000 people at the Stanford campus, one of the largest single-day artistic events in the history of Stanford. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, they were both alive back then, by the way. And uh, we discovered that they were actually boyfriend-girlfriend in law school. Oh. <laughs> one time, oh. yeah. And oh. uh, the two, Sandra was far scarier, I, I, I have to tell you. <laughs> you know, when she, I was, I, was, um, I was asked to rehearse protocol, like what to call them each, and I froze. I didn't know what to say. So she just looked at me and said, who are you? <laughs> and that mm-hmm. didn't help anything. <laughs> so I just stood there. But, no, it was a really interesting um, experience in that it um, – Help me understand what the potential is to cross two mediums. Uh, but what we decided to do with remote theater was quite different. And Tanya was the first person I called when we got the idea for the theater company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so have you all worked together before? Yeah, Tanya, you can explain that, right? Well, we, we worked together like, 22 years ago at California Shakespeare Theater, I was an actor at that time, and Giovanni was a dramaturg on a production and had kept in touch very loosely via Facebook, mostly. And um, then when the pandemic started, Giovanni floated uh, the idea of doing a Zoom production of a play by Naomi Wallace called One Flea Spare that's about a family in London that's quarantined during the plague and it just mm-hmm. seemed really apt and so he was like who wants to do this and I was like I do <laughs> that would be <laughs> awesome so I acted in that play with him and then we were talking and I, I was telling him about my new play Manatee on Mars and we decided to do that as the third production there was another one in between yeah mm-hmm. nice nice oh that's so yeah. cool yeah so, so Tanya, tell us about your play. Um, yeah, give us the details. And I just love your directions about 
you know, sort of acknowledging that we are not in a theater and and so, you know, you do these things, you do these things and then, you know, once we're like in a you know, a brick and mortar theater again, then you can ditch those instructions because <laughs> they won't be necessary. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting, you know, because the character of the narrator, uh, who's now kind of a big part in the play, was sort of born of the fact that we're doing this on Zoom, you know, and my play jumps around a lot in time and place, and so I created a narrator character to sort of orient the audience, but now I've grown very attached to it, so it'll be interesting to see if it stays in its current form in future productions. Um, But the play is about a boy on the autism spectrum, a 12-year-old boy. He's being raised by his mom. His parents are separated. And uh, a family at his public school that's trying to get him removed from the school Um, They're kind of a wealthy and influential family, and the mom is uh, very assertive and very used to being able to make things happen. And um, their daughter, Sonia, has been best friends with the boy, Cody, since they were in preschool. And at that time, when they first met, uh, they didn't realize Cody was on the spectrum. He has high-functioning autism and he's highly verbal, and he has an amazing memory and a lot of skills. So it took them a little while to realize he was on the spectrum. Um, And uh, once they did realize that, the girl's mother, Catherine, started to want to pull back her daughter's friendship more and more. As they got older, she's worried about her daughter's social skills. She feels like Cody behaves in inappropriate ways. And so she's been trying for years, and, and we have, like, a lot, I said, a lot of back and forth in the play, to separate them. And then this incident happens, which kind of kicks off the action of the play, where Cody bites Sonia during a game of Capture the Flag. And um, he, you know, it, it, is, it is common among uh, some kids on the spectrum they might have very high uh, academic skills, but have behavioral issues that especially come out if they're in a stressful situation. So in this situation of the game of capture the flag, it was already noted that he wasn't supposed to be doing competitive sports because that was a big stressor for him. But he was in that situation. The, The school hadn't followed his IEP. That's an individual education plan. Exactly. Uh, and so he got stressed, he bit Sonia, and that action of her mom saying, like, that's it, I've had it, I'm going to write letters to everyone under the sun, and we're going to get this kid out, and that's kind of where our play begins. Right, yeah. And is this all, um, is this all from your imagination, or do you have um, some experience with this particular um, kind of uh, parenting, or you know, or or you know, being a child in a school system where your difference is not celebrated for the gifts you bring, because this child sounds brilliant. <laughs> I mean, you know, when his mother talks about, oh yeah, we just sort of follow, follow, you know, his interests. You know, one minute, you know, mm-hmm. he's like, you know, sort of interested in maps. And and then mm-hmm. it's it you know mapping the universe and now it's this and yeah I mean this kid is like whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, I do have a child on the spectrum who is in many ways quite a bit like Cody. So the Mm -hmm. story is fictional, but a lot of it is inspired by experiences that I have had, you know, amalgamated with other other friends of mine with Spectrum kids who have also had experiences. But, yes, like when you see those school meetings, people are like, wow, you must have done a lot of research. This lingo is spot on. I'm like, yeah, the research for those meetings was my life. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, my um, my grandson is on the spectrum, and my, my daughter, my older daughter, she is just like such an advocate, and and the children really need advocates. I mean, this this mm. mother, like, there, mm. the school doesn't even let her know that something happens. She doesn't find out till she gets an email. Oh, by the way, your son is suspended. Like what? Yeah, right. and yeah. yeah, yes, and that is very much from life. I will say. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's oh, uh, wow. really something that. Huh. And it's something that Tanya and I were able to bond on. Um, I, I too, have a boy on the spectrum and, um, you know, have, you know, experienced some of the challenges that uh, Tanya explores. So the material really resonated with me. And and we started thinking, how how many parents are out there, you know, where play like this could be very, very relevant at this time? And, you know, uh, disabilities or, you know, we don't like to use that word, but, you know, kids with challenges, um, they don't really get a lot of attention in the news. You know, it's like, especially in Silicon Valley, um, it's sort of a given, you know, we have a, you know, we have a pretty large number of people that fall under the spectrum and um, some of the challenges that uh, kids and their parents face. Uh, really haven't found artistic expression. So, you know, we saw both an opportunity and something that was personally meaningful for us to collaborate on this play uh, because of that. Mm-hmm. Right. So talk about the manatee part and being on Mars. Um, I mean, it's a nice alliteration too, manatee <laughs> on Mars. <laughs> and then we think about where where are we going to go after we leave here, right? And you know the whole, the idea was Mars was always the goal because the moon is doesn't support life, but Mars might. <laughs> yeah, Mars might. Yeah. Well, they have found water on Mars, just a little, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. well, uh, so so the character of Cody is obsessed with a cartoon, and in my early draft when I was working on the play, I had stuck Bob as the cartoon that he was obsessed with. Uh, Um, mm -hmm. And it actually had, the play had a different title. The title was Squirrel Jokes, which is the name of an episode of SpongeBob. But then at some point gearing up to this reading, I, um, I don't know, someone raised the question of rights, you know, copyrights and stuff. And although I think this would have been fair use, that sort of got me a little concerned. And so I started to think about whether I might, take SpongeBob out and create my own cartoon where not only could I, um, you know, for Cody to be obsessed with, or not only would I not have to worry about copyrights, I could also create it any way that I wanted it and make it richer in terms of its 
metaphoric relationship to the themes of the play. So, uh, and I think that Giovanni was a tiny bit skeptical at first, right? Because he was like, no, no, keep SpongeBob. But whenever someone tells me not to do something, that just makes me want to do it. So, um. yeah, one of the fun things working <laughs> about working with Tony. <laughs> right. So he's like, oh, oh, don't do that. I'm like, okay, I'm going in. And so um, <laughs> I just spent, I was on a little writing retreat, and I just thought, I'm just going to explore this for a day. I'm going to take out all the SpongeBob and put in something brand new. And I started out Googling funny animal names. And literally the first thing that came up was Floaty Potato, which is a nickname for manatees. And I was like, oh, my mm. God, I love you know, I love floaty potato. That's so hilarious. And manatees are so cute. And they're so gentle. You know, I started researching them. Like, you can put your, your there's, you can see a picture. Someone puts their head in the manatee's mouth because its teeth are so far back that it can't hurt you. So I loved that image. And I just started playing with it and kind of brainstorming what the episodes of this cartoon might be. And I thought there should be an episode where they go into space. And um, on Earth, maybe Floaty's friends make fun of him because manatees move slowly. But in space, everyone has to move slowly. And the ability to float and being used to floating might actually give Floaty an edge on knowing how to get around in space. And so Mars could be the place where, you know, he feels really comfortable and at home. So that was kind of where where that idea grew out of. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, could you talk a little bit about the, um, I think it's the, is it the 30th anniversary of American with Disabilities Act? Yeah, that's right. So the Americans with Disabilities Act um, and also the IDEA, uh, which is the sort of specifically educational version of that, made mm-hmm. a huge difference in the life of people with with disabilities. I mean, I don't think a lot of people even realize that before those bills were passed, you know, if your kid was in a wheelchair, your local public school could be like, well, I'm sorry, they can't go here. You know, we don't have the facilities, you know. And so those laws, you know, among many other ways that it eliminated this discrimination, made that not okay. Said, no, actually, you have to serve all kids. You can't say, like, oh, sorry, you can't go to public school, you know, because we're all paying taxes for our public schools to serve everyone. So it was a huge landmark, and I, I was really pleased that we're able to, you know, just sort of note that in the timing of our production or mm-hmm. reading. Yeah. yeah. And um, so there's a one-time um, performance, and um, and then what happens after that with the work? Well, I um, try to get- <laughs> I try to get theaters to see it. I keep submitting it for, I mean, this is a reading, so I still consider the piece in development. Um, we'll, we'll ask for audience. And, um, you know, hopefully once the world turns right side up again, it will get to be produced in some actual physical venues. That's the hope, that this is yeah, actually just a long journey for the manatee. That's what I hope. <laughs> 
Go ahead, Chief. Sorry. Yeah, and from <laughs> our perspective at Remote, um, we we were trying to find ourselves as you know a theater company uh, during this really rough time, and you know we started with the idea that, well, you know the pandemic is an opportunity to explore this new medium. That's great. Uh, the medium may or may not last. You know, we think if, uh, if it's very interesting in its own right, uh, people will want to see remote theater uh, because it's maybe somewhere between a live theatrical performance and all the excitement that, that brings and cinematic values. That's something we discovered. You know, you can have close-ups. You can do very subtle acting uh, that's very difficult on a stage, right? But beyond that, we started thinking, well, where do we sit in the ecosystem um, and we believe that uh, play development is still a pretty rough game, you know, for a lot of people. And if we could actually help elevate a work by someone like Tanya, uh, you know, to get the attention of an artistic director or a theater company or some other collaborators, we will have done our job, you know, because we're happy with that piece of the ecosystem. You know, personally, I find it exciting um, but, you know, it's a launch pad, if you will, you know, and we, we are very proud to be operating that launch pad. Right, yeah. So tell us about um, uh, Bay Area Playwrights um, uh, Foundation and um, and their their participation in, you know, in this, uh, this reading that um, you all are um, – producing for tomorrow at 2, and uh, people definitely need to register in advance so you don't miss any moments of, of this, this uh, really wonderful um, debut of a, of a great work. You are such a wonderful writer, um, Tanya. I really like, I like, I like the, the voices of the children, uh, particularly the little girl whose mother is really crazy. <laughs> like, what's wrong with her? Like, you want to just, like, shake her. <laughs> And her husband is just so mild mannered and, and 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 sensible, but she doesn't hear him. And I don't know why he doesn't act like he is a parent too. And 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 he has a he has a voice, you know, uh, at the school. And she, I mean, wow, you all yeah. are gonna be amazed, the audience, when you when you hear, you know, you just wow, this is crazy. Yeah. Wow, anyway. thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah. And if you see it, you're going to see just incredible actors in those roles, too. I mean, I feel so mm-hmm. blessed by our cast. You know, Catherine Castellanos is playing the character of Catherine, that, that rather difficult mom. And she's just yeah. amazing. Adrian Roberts mm-hmm. is playing the dad. Alicia P.M. Nelson, the girl. And she's probably in her 20s, but, man, does she pull up that. She can pull off the kid like so real, you know, not campy at all. You feel like she's a mm-hmm. kid. Um, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, well, Playwrights Foundation, I have a long relationship with, very, very blessed um, to have been a resident playwright there uh, for four years a while back, and they really mm-hmm. supported the development of my musical. Um, they recently uh, changed artistic directors, so I was very yeah. pleased that they wanted to come and be a part of this project as well with their new artistic director, Jessica Bergesa. Mm -hmm. And they've come in and just been helping us out, uh, you know, joining in on the promotion and helping out also with the sort of 
audience feedback portion, which we'll have a Q&A after the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their, um, their uh, Playwrights Festival, uh, virtual Playwrights Festival, was really a hit. I really enjoyed it this summer. Mm. It was really yeah. fun. They are really committed to diverse voices, you know, and in, in in sort of every way, you know, from style to ethnic diversity to just really highlighting, you know, voices of people who haven't been heard from. And I was really pleased they felt that, you know, highlighting an, an autism character kind of fit with their mission as well as with their mission of, you know, just supporting new plays. They're, they're a great organization. I love them. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wanted to ask, um, I know um, in the directions uh, you write that you like the uh, the, uh, the character with autism uh, spectrum disorder uh, to be a person who is actually, you know, affected by, by autism, you know. Um, and mm-hmm. um, I was wondering, in, in this particular reading, is that the case? It's not. Um but uh, the young man who's playing the role, he's 17, he has some other challenges, so I wouldn't say he mm-hmm. is entirely neurotypical, but he doesn't mm-hmm. have uh, autism specifically. But he's uh, just such a gifted actor, and I think his own personal mannerisms and, you know, really made him get the character. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in your directions, you mentioned um, that, um, I mean, there's a lot of flexibility in in um, in the uh, the racial uh, and gender mm-hmm. diversity in the characters, and I was wondering, do you all play with that at all, um, Giovanni, uh, in your casting and all that? <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, there's one um, uh, actor that uh, we asked to play, I believe, four roles. Right, Tanya, Anna, and um, yeah. <laughs> She, she's really amazing. Did you pay that person uh, more and, money or something? <laughs> oh no! Now she's gonna hear that, Wanda. Oh my God! We <laughs> gotta pick out the checkbook. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, no. But anyway, so we, you know, uh, Tanya was able to actually change gender during the development, you know, for several characters uh, because we wanted to work with. First of all, we wanted to work with you know, people we really wanted to work with, you know, so that was, you know, and it's good that we had, you know, the ability to change that, you know, even a narrator, uh, you know, for the play that could be, you know, it could have been, um, uh, it could have been a woman's voice, you know, a girl's voice, not, not necessarily male. And uh, so it gave us freedom, uh, you know, to work with folks that we thought could best, you know, serve this type of production, and we're very pleased, you know, and Anna, I just wanted to single out uh, because, you know, she shows the flexibility that you could bring, you know, you could bring to a production like this in development. And, uh, you know, we, we, we like, we like Anna in general, you know, because uh, both Tanya and I, she's actually a close friend and colleague of uh, Tanya, but I got to know Anna recently with the playwriter, uh, uh, excuse me, a play reading group that Jim Carpenter uh, started several months ago, and I got to see her uh, perform. Okay. 
Nice, nice. Yeah, we also, uh, we decided, we cast the wealthy, privileged family as a family of color, which I thought was, you know, would be an interesting dynamic, somewhat playing against the stereotype that the poor single mom would be a person of color. The first single mom is white, and the family <laughs> is mixed-race family with a Latina mother and a black father and a mixed-race child. You know, so I, I thought that would, would be an interesting way to cast it and, and lend a lot of richness to these characters, you know, mm-hmm. and also make it just more interesting on a lot of levels. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. And also show that, you know, um, the, you know, that there are, you know, that all, you know, black people, all Latinos, et cetera, are not poor. <laughs> you know, quite a few of us are doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then and then conservatism and you know and and prejudice uh, is not you know necessarily um, relegated to one particular um, you know community or racial group. You know, it's spread out. Oh yeah, that is for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the yeah. people can can be progressive in one way and have a blind spot in another. Someone can be progressive on issues of race but not realize that that might also carry over to neurodiversity, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also right. um, we we didn't want the characters to be two-dimensional. Um, you know, there there is a place for that. It's a different type of theater. Um, but, you know, this, this is a, a realistic drama wrapped up with a fantasy, you know, because uh, Cody does see the world through, you know, this, this lens that he has for himself, you know, through floaty potato. Uh, but, you know, the story itself that's being told is, is realistic. And it would, you know, it would be a completely different experience if they were predictable characters, they were, they were totally evil or, you know, there's very, very little of that. Maybe the administration a little bit, the school administration, we allowed ourselves <laughs> to go there a little bit. But then it was the system, not the individuals. You know, it was the system that the individuals were navigating, and some, we believe, made better choices than others. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do when the system's unfair? Well, that's a personal challenge, right? There are different ways to respond to the system. You could rebel, you could adapt, mm-hmm. you could acquiesce, you know, um, and we, you know, we do explore that in the production. Mm, right. Well, my next guest is in the studio, and I wanted to ask both of you if you could give um, your your websites, let people know how they can, um, you know, make sure they don't miss the play tomorrow, the reading tomorrow, and uh, and just so you know how they can keep up with you, um, particularly, um, you know, checking out some of your your um, your other work, um, uh, Giovanni and um, and Tanya. You know, seeing you know. Where where your path leads you, um, definitely want to check out that book. That's yeah, really, awesome. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. I think it's easy. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Tanya, I stepped over your. No, no, go ahead. Get even. Yeah. So, <laughs> no. Um, so the easiest way, and we've made it easy for you know other people by just getting a URL that's easy to remember. It's remote dot theater. And uh, and there you can find information on the play, but also information for registering, and um, and contributions. They're voluntary. You know, uh, if people want to make a contribution, we're you know we're going to send out a mailing tomorrow. You know, uh, 
before the show showing them how to do that. But just go to Remote Theater, and you'll also connect with Tanya because, uh, you know, she's a regular with us, and we're very proud of her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. With, an, with an ER, it's the, it's the American rather than the British spelling of theater. <laughs> theater with an ER. I know. Mm. Oh, thanks for saying that. I spelled it wrong. Okay. Whoa. That was important. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Americans have this funny distinction of it's like stage theater is RE all of a sudden. (laughs) It's a little classism, I think. (laughs) I think so. Yeah, we're Anglophiles, you know. So, (laughs) unfortunate in some ways. (laughs) Right. Well, cool. Congratulations um, on this, you know, this production and looking forward to seeing it tomorrow. And, you know, certainly hope we can have uh, continued conversations um, together, you know, both of you together and also, you know, um, separate if you're, you know, not collaborating. Um, but definitely let me know so that we, where your paths are, 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 are moving because I definitely have enjoyed our conversation and look forward to the work. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Oh, you're quite welcome. Yeah, and Wanda, we look forward to seeing you tomorrow. We've got a special seat for you in the house. So, really? <laughs> Never heard that before. Okay, <laughs> not in the new configuration, but okay. <laughs> oh yeah, it's yours. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you so much. You take All care. Right. Take care. Thanks. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Good morning, Alma. How are you? Congratulations, too. Oh, thanks so much, Wanda. Good to be with you this morning. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. So, wow, I mean, as Executive Director of the California Lawyers for the Arts, this is your 40th anniversary. Like, when did, I mean, I know you had a, a career before this one, but 40 years, like, really? My goodness, that is so awesome. Thank you so much. And um, when I started in September 1980, I was the director of a new mediation program for artists. And Mm. I had been a journalist. I had practiced law briefly. And I was just fascinated with how the skills of mediation, conflict resolution, negotiation, could be applied to the arts. Nobody was doing that then. So it was a really groundbreaking program. And the following year, 1981, after some staff turnover at the executive level, I was invited to become the executive director of the organization, which was then Bay Area Lawyers for the Arts. Mm -hmm. In 1987, we became statewide when we joined up with a group in L.A., And now we have offices, we have five offices around the state in Sacramento, San Diego, Berkeley, and Los Angeles, as well as in San Francisco. So it's been quite a journey. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Because I I know, I remember, I'm not sure if it was California or Bay Area, but I I remember when, um, um, you know, you all would do these workshops in Oakland and and they would be free, you know, just sort of because... You know, who thinks about law and art, right, in the same sentence? You know, lawyers just, they, I mean, artists, they just, you know, hopefully, you know, don't get, <laughs> you know, their their rights um, taken away or, you know, things like that. But, 
you know, the, like insofar as having, uh, you know, a legal group of folks that are intent on preserving the rights of artists, you know, make sure that they get paid, right, make sure that they're, they're not, exactly. you know, their ideas are not stolen. And then exactly. and then when you move into, like, I didn't even know about the advocacy aspect, you know, around around arts and corrections until I think I was at San Quentin, you know, for a performance, probably with um, um, Shakespeare Behind Bars uh, or Shakespeare at San Quentin. Marin Shakespeare. Shakes. Um, yeah. Right, right. And I think you were in the audience and I knew you from other circles. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, that was a really yeah. interesting new chapter and I was so inspired by the work that the men were doing on stage and then how much it affected their lives, their inner mm-hmm. transformation. Not just into artists, but into complete human beings who recognized mm-hmm. that they might have made a mistake, but they still had good qualities. They still have potential. And I was just so um, impressed by the work that Marin Shakespeare was doing and the work of the people in San Quentin, because you remember they would do one show a year, and mm-hmm. one, it would, they would work on it for months, and that one performance was their contact with the external audience who came in from all over the Bay Area. And, yeah, I remember I remember seeing you there, and we talked a little bit after. You were doing a radio um, broadcast or recording, if I remember. And mm-hmm. um, they um, – it, it just struck a chord with me, and so I started working with Larry Brewster from the University of San Francisco with the William James Association and, of, of mm-hmm. course, Shakespeare – Marin Shakes and other organizations to show numerically how these programs were benefiting them. And the, that study that we did back in 2014 uh, was in four state prisons, two county jails. I myself was part of a demonstration project with women in San Francisco jail. And I could see myself uh, the transformation that was taking place, a, a 12-week singing program. So mm-hmm. we started advocating with the state government to support these programs more fully. They gave us, uh, through the State Arts Council, a $2.5 million grant for arts programs in 20 state prisons for two years, and now it's $8 million a year for arts programs in all 36 state prisons. Um so that has has really been successful, and uh, I'm really proud of the collaboration that we were involved with to pull that together. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, so maybe you can talk about some other um, moments that uh, proud moments that uh, you know. I mean, we, I don't know if we can if you actually can um, reiterate them. You know, okay, you know, 40 years ago this one, and 30 years ago that one, but you know. Why don't you share, well, <laughs> you know, like sort of what what comes to, to mind? Yeah, that'd be super, super. Some, some highlights, and we're going to be sharing more at an anniversary party on Zoom, of course, uh, next Yeah, on the 30th? Wednesday. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And maybe you could, before that, maybe you could tell people how they can join you um, at the 40th anniversary um, uh, gala event, you know, honoring you for all of your, your work. 
Sure, be glad to. Um, you can go to our website, calawyersforthearts.org. It's all spelled out, lawyersforthearts.org. And right on our homepage, there's a banner advertising this event, which is Wednesday, September 30th at 5 o'clock. Um, 5 o'clock Pacific time. It's just one hour, and we're going to talk about the different decades of our organizational development and growth uh, during the 40 years that I have been that I have been involved. But while you're there, you can also look at the programs that we have available. You can get a legal referral uh, for a consultation if you have a question about controlling your copyright or you haven't been paid or somebody lost your work. If you have a problem with uh, collaboration, you can go to our mediation program. And we also have a series of education programs that are ongoing. Just this week, we had one on social media and um, First Amendment rights, which could be very interesting for some people in your audience, I'm sure. And um, I missed it myself because I had a conflict. I was on a training program around Prop 7, which is to expand mm-hmm. voting rights. So let me put in a quick plug for that. That's on the California oh, yeah, ballot in November. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will allow 50,000 people who have felony convictions, who have been released, they've served their time, they're on parole, and they can't vote. So we want to fix this in California. We want more people to vote and to step into their role as citizens and full members of our society after they have come out of incarceration. So I was on a training program about Prop 7, and I missed our own uh, webinar on social media. Mm-hmm. But guess what? It's on our U- it will be on our YouTube channel. And okay. we have a whole menu of programs that are on our YouTube channel. So if you have any questions about how to start a nonprofit, how to – um, control your trademark. Is this a trademark or can it be patented? Um, we have, I think, about 25 or 30 programs that have been stored mm-hmm. on and available on YouTube for free. So um, that's been an, an unfortunate. Unfortunately, we're all surviving uh, a very difficult time, but that's been one of the benefits is that we're doing more programs online and we are storing them and posting them on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, before um, before we do the highlights, um, perhaps you could let us know other um, ballot initiatives that um, you are supporting or um, maybe not supporting that people might not know about. I think there was one that's not being supported that has to do with um, – uh, the prison system, and I think it's 20, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not familiar with that, Wanda. Tell me more. Okay, I'll, I'll go look to it my, up. <laughs> go to my someone sent me an email, yeah, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know about this one. I have to check that out, but I do want to mention something that we are starting to work on, which is amending the U.S. Constitution 13th Amendment. Some of your listeners have seen the movie 13th by Ava Mm -hmm. DuVernay. And when I saw that, I woke up and I said, this is unbelievable. Our U.S. Constitution 
abolished slavery and involuntary servitude, except for people who are convicted of a crime. And as she tells the story in the movie, the plantations in the South, some of them were immediately converted to prisons. And they just picked up people who had newly been freed for um, minor offenses, laudering, whatever, and shoved them plantation to work the fields. And this continues to this day in Louisiana and North Carolina. There's examples you can look at. And it provides an economic incentive to have people incarcerated for long, long terms. And um, it provides an incentive for um, basically slave labor. People are paid very little. There's convict labor. There's um, corporate prisons that are profiting off of people's labor. It's, It's really a travesty in our nation, and it's a monument from Reconstruction after the Civil War that we need to address. What I found out when I started looking into this is that our own state constitution has similar language as do many states around the country. And there isn't a a group that is working on this at the state level, and we're also starting to look into what we can do federally. So that's that's uh, that's a, an initiative um, that I think people will want to know about and get involved with. Mm-hmm. That sounds really really great. Yeah, um, I sent you the uh, information about No on Twenty, and I got it from um, the LA coordinator um, Brian Canada uh, or Canetta um, Curb Prison Spending, and um, and then there's another one um, Seventeen says yes on 17 and neutral on 25 but um proposition 20 um is um let's see where is it uh i'm looking at it it restricts parole for certain offenses currently considered to be nonviolent authorized mm-hmm. felony sentences for certain sentences currently treated only as misdemeanors thank you for bringing this to my attention um, I have read my whole ballot book, and this sounds terrible. Yeah, we should definitely be against this. Mm-hmm. I really yes, appreciate yes. you bringing this up. Oh, yeah, no problem. It says Prop 20 is dangerous because it seeks to uh, embed us more firmly in a culture of punishment by undoing key aspects of Propositions 4757 and Assembly Bill 109. In one sweep, Prop 20 would make it easier to charge low-level crimes like bicycle theft as a serious felony. Prop 20 would drop the felony theft threshold from $950 to $250 and create a brand-new set of felony crimes. For people inside prisons, Prop 20 would restrict access to parole and rehabilitative programs, making it harder for them to earn credit towards release. This anti-reform initiative also violates privacy requiring persons convicted of certain misdemeanors like shoplifting to submit to the collection of a DNA sample. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Whoa, that is dangerous. Yeah, Yeah, that's a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to try to get someone on my show um, uh, from this organization to talk about that one and the others. But, yeah, thank you so much for letting us know about Prop 7 and and the um uh the rewriting 17. of oh, oh seventeen. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. and then the one on, on that has to do with um 
the uh, 13, um, the amendment to the Constitution, um, is that a part of the ballot or is that something that you all are working on? We're currently doing some research and okay. collecting a, a group, uh, which we're calling a, a think tank at this point, to try mm-hmm. and see what's going on around the country. There are some states that have referenda on their ballots in November, Utah and Nebraska. In Utah, the entire state legislature voted to um, change their um, language that's similar to the U.S. Amendment 13. But another Mm -hmm. one I wanted to mention before we leave the California ballot is Prop 16, Mm -hmm. which would allow uh, diversity to be a factor for education. And this is really important uh, to vote for that as well. So, um, mm. yeah, opportunity. What for does all. that mean? Diversity of being a factor. Um, you mean a factor? In other consideration words, you could, have you could have affirmative action, which oh. was <laughs> eliminated in California higher education admissions. And I don't mm-hmm. want to miscite the that referendum, but it was amended by the voters. Um, the voters in a referendum disallowed affirmative action. And I, I wish I could remember this, what that amendment was, the number, but I can't. But anyway, Prop 16 right now on the ballot would allow mm-hmm. affirmative action in education. And it's it's really an important initiative as well. So there's a lot in, the, in this ballot book. People read it. <laughs> I've got to read it myself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it, yeah, it's, don't it's wait. <laughs> This is an important election in so many ways. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we've gotten involved in supporting the rights of people who are incarcerated. You were at our conference last year at Santa Clara. It was Clarity. so awesome. Mm-hmm. We had over 300 people from over 25 states uh, that are involved with arts and corrections in different ways. So we've gotten an NEA grant to do a replication of the demonstration project that I mentioned earlier in five states, Ohio, Mm -hmm. New New York, Louisiana, Texas, and Michigan. And unfortunately, starting these programs is on hold right now because all of the prisons are shut down and jails too to outsiders. So we're just going to have to wait out COVID. It's it's tough right now in so many ways. Mm but um, other highlights I could I could share. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We replicated our mediation program around the country, working with lawyers for the arts groups in many states. Uh, in New York, they're still doing a mediation program like ours, and um, sometimes we're able to work across state lines. For example, I got a call from a writer who said her publisher in New York was not paying her royalties and she didn't think she was getting what the contract had provided and she knew some of the books had been sold and she wasn't getting any money. So I Mm -hmm. called our peer organization in New York, Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts in New York, and um, they said, okay, we'll work on this. So we're working on it together because it's so much better to have an ally in New York talking to the publisher there than for us to contact them because they know we don't have any jurisdictional um, connection <laughs> to them. 
<laughs> they would just laugh it off and put it in the trash as we write to them. But they'll pay attention when they hear from volunteer lawyers for the arts in New York. So we have this mm-hmm. very collegial um, uh, working relationship with a lot of the organizations around the country. So that's been that's been a really key highlight for me as well. Um, on mm-hmm. the advocacy front, unfortunately, we saw the demise of the Resale Royalty Act, which was unique in California. It was started with a group of legislators and board members from Bay Area Lawyers for the Arts in 1976. And unfortunately, there was some litigation that went south, and it was eventually um, disallowed. So on our to-do list, we have trying to get a federal resale royalty right and join a community of over 100 countries around the world that have resale royalties for visual artists. And let me just explain for a quick second what that means, if you think your reader, your listeners would, would be interested. Um, yes. People know about royalties for musicians, right? If you write a song, somebody else plays it, records it, sells it, even if it's played at your local gym or in a nightclub over recording, there are organizations that collect royalties that go to the songwriters. And Mm -hmm. um, it's a very important source of income for artists to have residual royalties. People who are in a TV show, will get royalties years later if the show is, is replayed and recycled. So there's nothing comparable, comparable to this for visual artists when their works are resold. And so we supported, as an organization, resale royalties for visual artists. And it's available in many countries around the world. Here's the interesting thing. We don't have a federal law in the United States so we can't participate. American artists can't benefit when their works are resold in Europe, for example, or in Africa or Asia, because the United States is not part of a reciprocal arrangement because we don't have the law in the United States. So we obviously need a federal law, and there are economic reasons to do this, not only domestically, but also because of the international art market. So that's on our to-do list, and hopefully we'll have a more sympathetic uh, administration and Congress going forward that will be interested in this. There have been proposals before, but it didn't pass at the federal Mm -hmm. level. And as I mentioned earlier, the California law was struck down by the courts, by federal courts. Right, yeah. And and as you um you know you sort of um uh take us through you know your um uh I guess your um your work over the past 40 years and some of the uh you know landmark um you know kind of decisions so to speak. Um <laughs> uh, I was wondering if you could also sort of wrap that in in you know your, your personal narrative um you know you're a mother, you're a wife, um you're a southerner. Um, yeah, um, you know, you've, I, I think you've traveled outside of this country. Um, yeah, I was wondering if you could sort of like wrap that. Yeah. 
and also yeah. um and also sort of tie that into this moment we're in now i mean you know Bri- what happened with Brianna Taylor around um prosecution of of the of the police that killed her um you know the passing of the uh, justice ginsburg um Ruth Bader Ginsburg um you know we're in a you know 40 days 39 days or so you know we have this like you mentioned you know this election you know um the toppling of of emperor number 45 um, <laughs> um yeah yeah and you know we, and you're right we well, have a pandemic you know we got all these people that are locked away that are dying um because they're being infected you know by you know, folks that are going back and forth and, you know, don't have the right um, protective gear and the, the right precautions are not being being um, uh, instituted, you know, because a lot of times, you know, people sort of out of sight, out of mind, literally. Yes, and right. And when the vaccine gets developed, and <laughs> let's hope it's going to be properly vetted and controlled and tested, um, mm-hmm. And that science will prevail. Let's hope that yeah. it is available for everybody. But we know there'll be a pecking order in terms of who gets mm-hmm. it first and who's last on the list. It's going to be a huge undertaking, but it seems to be the only real solution since people aren't universally wearing masks and social distancing, which mm-hmm. is a shame. Um, but taking it back to my story. I grew up in North Carolina, went to college in Vermont, and sort of had in the back of my mind that I might go to law school. But I'd had a journalistic background, even starting in high school. I was um, uh, chosen to write on the teen page in my hometown newspaper, and that became a, um, the, the paper was where I can, could find a job, a summer job. So I was Being trained as a journalist, when I got out of college, I went to Washington and worked at the Washington Star as a journalist and then decided to go to law school, hoping that I could have a bigger impact than I might as a journalist. Um, Now, we can see that journalists have a huge impact, and um, I was in Washington as Watergate was starting to unfold, and every time I see Carl Bernstein I recall that I was in the city room, the, the city newsroom in, at the Washington uh, City Hall, Washington, D.C. City Hall, when, I, when we were all young journalists. So, wow, look at, look at the different <laughs> paths that, 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 that they took. So, but I continued to write when I was in law school. I wrote uh, as a stringer for Newsweek. I was in law school at Stanford. And recently I have recalled uh, a really important moment that I had with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We were Mm. putting on a Women and the Law conference uh, at Stanford, and she was one of our keynote speakers. And because I had a journalistic background, I was assigned to drive her up to San Francisco for an interview at San Francisco Chronicle. So I had uh, half half a day, an afternoon with Ruth Bader Ginsburg in my VW bug, which I drove her up to the, uh, up to the interview. And I remember so vividly 
telling her, wow, I have a long to-do list. And she said, well, are you on it? What are you doing? Are you, how's it going? And so <laughs> when people started to be depressed about her, her passing, I just woke up with the thought that I've got to do something. I have got to get on my game. I've got to get busy and get to my to-do list. And so I thought mm-hmm. about what's on my to-do list, right, the 13th Amendment. Um, mm-hmm. telling people to vote. I joined a, uh, a call um, session, a get-out-the-vote session, call voters in North Carolina, encouraging mm-hmm. people to vote. And so um, we can all be doing more. And that was my message from Ruth Bader Ginsburg from all those years. Uh, we've mm-hmm. all got to get active now. And as a director of a nonprofit um, from my Perch at California Lawyers for the Arts, we do not support candidates for political office, but -hmm. we can certainly encourage people to vote. We can take a stand on on issues that affect our constituents, like these ballot initiatives. And Mm -hmm. um, I have a board meeting today, and I'm hoping that our board will embrace these initiatives as well, because we have an important voice as a nonprofit legal services organization, we're connected to many networks of artists who certainly have uh, a lot to say and big platforms to work from. And we're connected to lawyers and the judiciary. So I'm hoping that we will become a more powerful voice for the rights of people who are oppressed. So that's kind of my story in, in a nutshell. Um, yesterday, our first grandchild was born on my husband's oh. birthday. <laughs> on your husband's birthday? His birthday was yesterday, and you have a new uh, family member? Exactly. Oh, yeah. that's so, cool. <laughs> we're very excited about that, too. And um, mm-hmm. Congratulations. A lot. Well, thank you so much, you know, and it, it, and it makes you think more about the future about getting involved mm-hmm. with 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 supporting the planet as our home and yes. and the whole ecology and environmental issues around that that we have a lot of very serious work to do on uh in fact in around 2008 California Lawyers for the Arts started a series of environmental dialogues arts and environmental mm. dialogues that were very successful. We held them in three cities, and mm-hmm. we published reports that are on our website if anybody cares to see. But, you know, Obama was elected president. We were in the Paris Accord, and we thought, okay, there's everybody understands now. You know, we're we all aware of this, mm. and then now what? So we got to do work on that level as well. There's a lot to do. Now, the, the to-do list is pretty long, Ruth. It's still a long <laughs> list. <laughs> so I hope you will continue to give me the energy. <laughs> yeah, drive. yeah. She was she was on it, and I was telling somebody about this, and he said, "Oh yeah, she's a Jewish mother. Remember?" <laughs> and so, so, thank you, Ruth. You know, you you got me buzzed up here. Um, yeah, so, yeah, and yeah. That, and now on my to do list, I got to read the California um, ballot guide. 
Uh, yeah, mm. there's a lot going on in California, and we continue to just stumble back and forth. Um, there's a lot mm. of of ways that we can make things better for all of our people in California. So we need to focus on that right now also. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, um, I've been attending the um, uh, ASALA um, African-American, see, the Association of African-American Life and History, uh, Dr. Carter G. Woodson's organization. They're having their 105th um, convention, and it's virtual, so which is great because I've never been able to go because I haven't been able to, like, go because it's never here. It's always you know, away from here, um, either in Washington D.C. or in other states, and so because of the uh, the virus, uh, virtual the whole month of September on Thursdays and Saturdays. You know, I've been able to go, and it's been like so awesome. And then if you miss anything, the recording, everything, you can go watch it. And so it's through the 30th, and the the theme this year is of course African Americans and the vote, and. Um, it's just been so illuminating. Oh my God! All these smart people of African descent just, ooh, just breaking it down. They've got books on it, and they've been studying this for like thirty, forty years, and oh, it's just like so illuminating. Yeah. And there are movies, there are film festivals, and yeah, they even have a DJ. You dance, you know, you can do the adult two-step at the end of the day, <laughs> which is really fun. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but I was thinking, you know, oh, what's, sort the, of the, whole what's idea. the website for that? I'm sorry, what's the oh, website um, for that? Asala, like um, let me, uh, yeah, let me, let me, um, uh, Association of African American Life and History. Let's see. Okay, I'll look it up. American Life um, and oh, History. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I just have. I go. I'm going there so okay. much. Um, yeah, here it is. A S A L H dot O R G. A S A. L-H. Can you say it one more time? Uh, or, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. A-S-A-L-H dot O-R-G. Asala. Okay. Great. Look at that. Founded the Black History Month. Yeah, since 1915. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, just so because, you know, um, you know you're know, you from one of those <laughs> uh, southern states, and, and so am I, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm from New Orleans. You know, just sort of the whole idea of, of voting rights, um, you know, something that, you know, women, black women didn't get into 1965, even though white women, they, you know, they, they lobbied and they advocated and they marched, you know, for the women's right to vote, you know, 100 years ago, the centennial is, uh-huh. you know, is this year. But black women, they had to wait, you know, until, um, you know, they were able to, to exercise that constitutional right. And then you think about, uh, you know, the struggle, you know, um you know, the racial struggle within the women's movement against black women, you know, showing up 100 years mm-hmm. ago to advocate mm-hmm. for all women, not just white women, but black women as well, um, you know, having the right to vote. And, you know, just sort of thinking also about, you know, like, and a lot of these women had, um, in, you know, slavery in their in their immediate family, you know, parents had been enslaved or they had been enslaved, I'm thinking, so during the truth, um, uh, uh, Miss uh, Mary Terrell, you know, having had enslaved parents, I think she, I don't think she was enslaved, but you know, just sort of like how right. far we've come, right? Like <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, my great grandfather was enslaved, 
And mm. uh, my family has been having annual reunions since 1906. We celebrated our 100th reunion in 05 in Charlotte, North Carolina. And mm-hmm. we we look back at him. He was smart enough to write a book. He was illiterate, but he dictated a book to a cousin called The Pen Picture that's really kind of a family Bible. It's, it's uh, you know, his lessons about people and generosity and community, uh, sort of an ethos of, of how to be in the world and in society and to make a difference. And so that that lesson has been passed on to us, and um, I'm grateful for it. Um, he was separated from his family when he was six years old and sent off to another plantation. I think it was as a wedding present to one of the owner's um, kids. And so the shock of that, and then you see the separation of families at the border, and you think, yes, this has been going on a long time, and it's it's not new. It's just that we are repeating history and trying to turn the clock back. So this is a very dangerous moment in our society, and uh, we we really have a lot to do just to to fix the current issues, let alone the legacies that we've been handed. So we try to look for those bright spots in our past that will will encourage us to keep moving mm-hmm. forward, keep working on the to-do list, keep being right. active, keep being active. And so I'm so proud of your work that you're doing, Wanda, getting these messages out, and and you're everywhere. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Alma. <laughs> um, Great. Speaking of everywhere, and you asked about highlights, I just, I, I'm so reminiscent at this moment. And mm-hmm. one of the things that, that we did organizationally, we led trips to Cuba, to Havana, and we also oh, nice. had an intellectual property seminar for a week in Paris, France, to look at the royalties mm-hmm. and the issues of, of artists and how arts, royalties, and other support for artists are managed in Europe. It was really interesting. And so our organization has really been, um, I would say, out there, you know, really mm-hmm. looking at how different systems can work in different countries. And to bring it back to our issue of the 13th Amendment, mm-hmm. we have an intern now researching how is prison labor treated in other countries we know that we have the worst system of incarceration, the longest sentences, the most people, the most highest percentage of people incarcerated in the world, um, except perhaps uh, in some unnamed countries. We don't want to be a model for American democracy. And so people do commit crimes in other places. They don't serve sentences nearly as long. Are they required to work? You know, are they required to work for free, to make license plates, to do whatever maintenance is needed in the prison? What what happens? We don't know. So we're doing a, a, a study right now to try and look at some other systems of incarceration. Hmm. Oh, that's great. That's really great. And your studies are, are usually published, right? <laughs> 
Well, yes, and that was one of the incentives for the student who was working on us. That look, you know, this this could be published, and um, because <laughs> <laughs> and so um, we had, as you remember, we had several people from different countries participating in our conference last year. So yeah, I reached out to them is. and said, you know, from England oh. and India and France, mm-hmm. and um, at one point that was our third conference. Uh, we had somebody from Japan, and anyway, we we'll we'll check it out. We'll see. You know, is is this the most civilized way to cor- so-called correct people? You know, it's corrections, but the way we do it, you can make people bitter. They're losing their entire adult lives for something they did as a teenager, sometimes, many times, and folks are coming out after forty years. With mm-hmm. fortunately, California has started investing more in rehabilitation and training, but sometimes they come out with very little to sustain themselves. One of our initiatives now is to find funding for employing people who've come out with arts training and find ways to employ them with subsidized uh, salaries with arts organizations or other nonprofit organizations that can help mentor them and support them as they find their way in community. Folks come out, they've mm-hmm. never had a cell phone, at least not legally. Um, they don't know how to use a computer. They need to be supported as they become, uh, um, they become more um, involved in work and, and hopefully sustainable work that they can be engaged in and feel a passion for. So that's, that's one of our, the things on our to-do list. Right. That's really awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doing some really good work. I was wondering um, if, if um, you all are um, uh, doing any kind of uh, research or support around the California reparations uh, bill that is uh, waiting for the governor's signature? That's a great question. I haven't been involved in that except, you know, through my own moral support. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a good question. I'll look into it more. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was just thinking, you know, sort of uh, ties really well into, you know, the 13 research. It does. Yes, it could, Yeah. Because you have to look at how all these systems have been managed to oppress people of color and what does it mean to give back. We know there's been some really horrible incidents in California history. Um, So I'll look into that more. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I had a nice to do list. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you, Wanda. <laughs> oh, no problem. It's really no been problem. a learning opportunity for me talking to you. <laughs> I have learned a lot. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, I, no problem. You know, I'm 72 years old, and, and one of the things that, that I said recently to, to my staff in talking about this anniversary was I want to keep learning, you know. Um, mm-hmm. We all we all have that opportunity, and it's so easy with the internet. Uh, so you just plug it in, plug in your question, and boom, out come a bunch of resources. So I'm mm-hmm. pretty excited. Yeah. Yeah, 
And um, lastly, um, I'm sure you're probably aware of the uh, Imagine Freedom, uh, the Benefit for Critical Resistance. Um, mm-hmm. that, uh-huh. uh, yeah, it's um, next. It's the day before your big event. Um, it's the 29th. Um, they're going to be having a virtual opening cocktail. And were you? Uh, where were you? Uh, were you? Um, I'm trying to think. Critical resistance. How old is it? Is it? When did it start? Twenty-five or thirty years ago. Um, were you there at UC Berkeley um, when it? Um, when you know the first convening uh, at you know of critical resistance, the organization. No, I I wasn't there. Um, mm-hmm. But I will check it out. Uh, yeah, there's your link. That's the twenty. That's the twenty ninth. <laughs> what time? Uh, it is. I think it's five. Uh, yeah, five to six. Yeah, virtual okay. opening cocktail hour celebration. Yeah, five to six. Okay. Oh wow! It's co-hosted by the Bayview Opera House. Oh how nice! Oh, oh cool. That's up the street from yeah. me. I live in Bayview. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. You sure do. I forgot that. Yeah, how are you yeah. doing around around the? Um, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of pollution in in Bayview from the shipyard. Are you all okay? We are. Yeah, I'm. I'm sad for the people that bought new homes that were being developed mm-hmm. over there, and there's so much corruption around the cleanup. It's just unbelievable. Um, mm-hmm. But. I think Bayview suffers more from the pollution from the freeways that surround us, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, that's so uh, true. There are lots of them. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 101, 280. It's, it's mm-hmm. loud. It it's, um, makes you want to move to the country, and then you see where these fires, <coughs> why, where these fires, excuse me, where these fires are happening. Is there a safe haven in California? You know, and and the oceans are coming for us. You know, we we we're 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 in a very sad situation, a sad moment in this country. And uh, I think the biggest disappointment is this whole anti-science initiative, and uh, and we're seeing that playing out in so many ways with the pandemic response, with the response to climate change. And it's uh, unbelievable, really unbelievable. So on the to-do list, people, everybody's got to vote. And you can say, I'm going to vote, but you really need to get somebody else out to vote. Help somebody Mm -hmm. else get excited about this election and um, driving people to the polls, making sure everybody's registered. Uh, you, you mentioned Bayview. We have a very low voter turnout in Bayview compared to the rest of San Francisco. Oh, and really? That's some, mm. Yes, and and we need to be working on that. It's it's you know nobody that doesn't vote this year is going to be forgiven. <laughs> you got to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so funny when I that's that's great. When I was in Zimbabwe, it was the last. It was the election where the last election where um, uh, President Mugabe um, was reelected, and and people, um, when you vote, you, you you dip your finger in this this red ink, and so or your thumb, I think it's your thumb. Anyway, if you vote, 
you have this finger to show, like, I voted, and people can tell, not because you have a sticker, but because you have that stain on your finger. And uh, it would be real. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a and people were like proudly showing their fingers, like, and and you know, and and if you couldn't show your fingers, like you were like, you know, like we are so disappointed in you because everybody's supposed to vote. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, because a lot of a lot of countries, you know, formerly colonized, you know. Voting is a new thing. It's not like it's been it's been around for you know fifty well, something and, years. And in Brazil, you get fined if you don't vote. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. even better. One of my <laughs> sons was working there as a teacher for a while, and it was during an election, mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. were talking about it. Yeah, you got to vote, or they will fine you. Yeah. Oh, just, that's ridiculous. Yeah, just oh, one more awesome. to our to our conversation. We talked about Prop 16, which would allow affirmative action in employment and education, and that would remove the previous proposition, which was 209. I thought it was 209, but right. I wanted to make sure. Yeah, I, I remember sure. 209. Yeah, because which, my daughter which, she was in high school then, and she made posters, <laughs> no on 209. Yeah. Right, right. So mm-hmm. we have an opportunity to correct that with Prop 16, mm-hmm. which is um, being promoted by our friends at the Equal Justice Society. I want to give a shout out to oh, them. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, Eva yeah. Patterson. Eva yeah. Patterson, right. They put a lot of mm-hmm. energy into this. Mm-hmm. And it's a really, really important opportunity to redress that. Yeah. And in, after 209, you probably know you had a, a daughter applying to school then the population of African American students at Berkeley and other state schools really went down. Mhm. Yeah. No, she was in high school then and she was on an externship um at um at um what is the name of that? Um the the print workshop which uh is the the profit arm of, of um uh the um Gosh, the uh, organization, the Middle Eastern Children of Children's Alliance, they, you know, that that particular organization was how they made money to fund the, you know, Barbara Lubin's work with the children that were in Palestine, and, and so my daughter uh-huh. was working um, for the, uh, she was work, she was going to school at the um, Emilia Zapata Street Academy, um, oh. and. Uh, so right. in the afternoon, they got a chance to, to, to work in the field that they were interested in. She was interested in art and, and printmaking, and so she worked at the print shop. And and so she made those posters that people were carrying in Wonderful. the protest. And I'm oh, like, that's Ooh. great. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so it was really cool. So you've been developing warriors. <laughs> hey, warriors. Yeah, for social justice. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I've got two warriors. She has Stay yeah, with she has you. a little sister, right? Who is uh-huh. also a warrior. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, my son oh, who wow. was in high school in San Francisco was, um, I think the first high school intern at San Francisco jail, and he discovered that oh. a lot of people there are illiterate. You know, they've dropped out of mm-hmm. high school. It wasn't working for yeah. them. Whatever. Nobody encouraged them to stay in school, and he's helping them read and. And now he's working at an organization in New York called Prep for Prep, where 
he's helping black and Latino kids get into very competitive high schools and boarding schools. And so that what you do in high school makes a difference. It's it's huge, a huge time mm-hmm. for growth and development and, and attention to the issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yes, an opportunity to practice, you know, um, try on some different right. um, careers, you know, by actually, you know, having some hands-on. And then sometimes, you know, the uh, the trajectory of your life is not one that you could have predicted prior to the experience of, you know, of doing an externship, which is really that's wonderful, right. you know, that that still happens, you know, in a lot mm-hmm. of schools. Well, let me... Because you don't know if you don't know. Mm-hmm. Let me end on one one program that I haven't mentioned. In 1993, mm-hmm. we started an internship program for high school students from low-income families in San Francisco mm-hmm. in 1993, and we just completed our what 27th year, 27th summer uh, with wow. with this program, funded by the city, and this summer mm-hmm. we needed to do it on Zoom. And so we had to mm-hmm. convince the work site supervisors that they could create programs and assignments on Zoom. It was amazing. One of mm. the students was working with Chinese Cultural Center, and they were doing a Black Lives Matter mural in Chinatown, and he was working mm-hmm. on it. Another mm-hmm. student was working on... Um, with the publicist who works with Devorah Major, who's one of our poet oh. laureates. Sure you know Devorah. Devorah yeah. had helped us plan this program back in 93, and she's going to be speaking at our 40th oh, really? celebration. Yeah. yeah oh, on, you've known Devorah a long time. <laughs> long, yeah, she's one of my best friends. And so uh, she recommended that we have a, a work site with her publicist, who is not in San Francisco, but it didn't matter because we're on Zoom. And right. so this young woman did some incredible graphics for uh, mm-hmm. some of the outreach that Kim McMillan was doing, the publicist oh. and, and supervisor. And, oh, you should talk with Kim sometime. She's incredible. And oh, so, I know Kim. Um, remember um, I saw you um, at the, uh, um, uh, the fest, what is it? Um, I'm trying to think. The something words. It was the second one. Um, yeah. Yeah, Kim was was a guest speaker during our summer workshop. um, Oh, nice workshops that we do with the with the students. She did a poem on Juneteenth that she read at our at our workshop online. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Another student was working on films for Recology. He's been invited to continue because he's not going to school because of COVID, and so he just got a job with uh, ecology, doing more more filming with them, and on and on. One of the guest speakers was in Australia. She does a program on dance and conflict resolution and talked nice. about her, her work um, resolving issues between a couple of ethnic groups that had been at war with each other and using Mm -hmm. dance as a means. I mean, it was just an incredible summer. And then Brian uh, Watt had the students, um, he's the KQED morning anchor, and he had the students watch him prepare for a show live. (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. And so uh, we were 
my point is this program still goes on, and you, we know that some of the kids have been powerfully impacted by their summer internships and such an opportunity mm-hmm. for, for growth at that age, as you were saying, and trying out different things and being around adults who've made commitments to, to live their passion. And so, um, and that's something you don't always get in school. School is important. I'm not putting it down, but it's good to get out and explore the world too. So we've been doing that and we've had more than a thousand kids involved in this program. At one point it was replicated in Oakland, Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. Washington, D.C., and Houston, Texas. So, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a great formula and I'm hoping that we can expand it again. Yeah, yeah, so, I hope so too. Really awesome. Yeah. So people can find out about that on your website as well. Just some exactly. of your internship. Mm-hmm. Under programs, and you go to Spotlight on the Arts. It's a program of our Arts and Community Development Program. Okay. And uh, it it's, wow. it's actually keeps us young too, because when you're around people that age, they have mm-hmm. so many great ideas, and it's. Um, it really it really makes you optimistic about the future, and we need optimism. We certainly do. Mm-hmm, certainly. So are are you going to be like, you know, the Supreme Court justices? I mean, you'll, you know, you'll work until, you know, until. You oh, you mean do I like... have a lifetime sentence? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're going to die in your boots like <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> I don't know. You know, when I was hired, it's so funny. When I was hired, they asked me, how long will you stay? And I said, oh, probably two years. My husband is from <laughs> Nigeria, and we thought we would mm-hmm. move to Nigeria, and instead we moved to Bayview, which is maybe a little bit like Nigeria. <laughs> yes, a little less polluted, right? <laughs> Politics are very intense in Bayview. I don't know if you're aware, mm-hmm. but and it's intense in Nigeria. And he's very, my husband, Toyemo, is very political. He's been involved in, in local, different local commissions and political activities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, I thought, okay, two years. And so every couple of years, I think, okay, I'll be here another couple of years. Well, just this month I signed a contract which requires me to participate for two more years in this <laughs> national group. <laughs> we got a grant from the National Association for Community Mediation, and it's actually mm-hmm. very exciting work. The idea is to train a younger cohort, age 21 to 35, in mediation skills that nice. align them to be community leaders. And so mm-hmm. they have to investigate what leadership issues do they want to address and then how do they convene community around this. So it could be mm-hmm. healthcare disparities, which is one thing in our, uh, or criminal justice disparities, which are, was also in our proposal. And it's a really exciting opportunity, but I had to commit to personally be involved in this for the next two years as the representative of California Lawyers for the Arts. And so I thought, okay, here we go again, another two-year commitment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's but, really you know, you love it, and it sounds so exciting and, you know, really fun. And like you said, um, <clears throat> you know, the work the work keeps you keeps you motivated, keeps you young, and keeps you activated. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Two more years at least. <laughs> yeah, hopefully with the help mm-hmm. of God and, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> I'm going to right, keep that to-do right. list active and keep working on it. There's a lot we yeah. need to fix up around here, which is what I mm-hmm. tell people when I <laughs> – I have a cousin who's incarcerated in Massachusetts, and, I, and he's an incredible leader in the institution. I said, Michael, we need you out here. We really do. And there's so many intelligent, talented people that we have confined for way too long. We really need to address this and mm-hmm. get these people home. We need them. And um, I'm excited about about that opportunity to keep working on that and and try to find ways for them to come back to community and find gainful employment and and as I discussed earlier yeah there's there's a lot to do no right. doubt about yeah. it <laughs> Thank right you, my yeah dear, mm-hmm. yeah time. you know you know the Bayview we have a new um you know a new editor <clears throat> who um is just returning to us you know, after, um, you know, being away for a long time. So, um, so you know, uh, I am looking. He's going to kill me because I can't, I'm not able to, like, you know, I'm trying to, like, what is his name? Because we just had a, um, uh, a, uh, a welcome, community welcome um, uh, on Sunday, which was really fun. Um, and uh, got a chance to meet him, and, and he um, actually proposed to to Nube, which is which was really cool. Um, and and we're looking at actually we're looking at um, uh, moving the Bayview to a uh, uh, a, a worker cooperative um, structure. Oh, so that's going to oh, be really good. really cool as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, great! So my, great. Um, yeah, and I am like, oh man, I'm I'm like I should have had breakfast before I spoke to you. <laughs> I am having a a major. Um, let me see, I'll find it for you just a second. Editor. Oh, here we go. Let's see. Um, Oh yeah, Malik uh, Malik Washington. Okay, okay, good. Yeah. Well. Mhm. Well, I look forward to meeting him, and if I, if there's anything I can do to help out, let me know. Oh yeah, certainly, certainly. And and then I was wondering, you know, you mentioned um, the pen, um, you know, your great grandfather's book, you know, that he mm-hmm. left for mm-hmm. you all, that you that's your inheritance, you know, as a family. And is it P E N N or P E N? P E N. Okay, and Pen that's picture. As in, here's that, my story in writing. And okay. Mhm. I think that's what and, they had in mind. Yeah, and and what can you call your great grandfather's name for us? And then I know um, you have a, a elder in your family that's I think she's in her hundreds or a hundred. 
Yes, yes. Wesley Mooney is my great-grandfather. He was born into slavery and came out in the late, well, with emancipation. Went back to North Carolina, found his family, and um, became a prominent landowner in in that Mm. county near Charlotte. Um, And my aunt Vivian celebrated her 100th birthday this year in New York City, Vivian Hewitt. And she was uh, and a prominent art collector. Her collection is now housed at the Harvey Gantt Museum in Charlotte, North Carolina. And she was, um, she had quite a fete in New York um, in March. So she's, she's doing well. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> We have another cousin. She's my Mm -hmm. mother's first cousin. They had 75 first cousins. Uh, Can you imagine? And so, 75 first cousins? We have a huge network of cousins my age and my generation (laughs) and on and on. So, this summer we met virtually for our reunion. Mm -hmm. And and that was interesting, too. There were people that had never been to Charlotte, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. You'd never been to this conference, but. You know, it comes to you, your time, and there they are, mm-hmm. you know, 150 cousins. It was fun. Oh my yeah, goodness! Wow. <laughs> you know, it'd be great. I know. I know the um. You know, the pin picture is is for your family, but I was like, maybe you all could ask. You could ask. Um. You know, could you share it with you know other members of you know of you know, this uh, American African diaspora community? Well. I think I could. Yeah, it's not. It's not really published. It's Xeroxed and passed around. It's part of our reunion history and and mm-hmm. legacy. But I'm sure I, I could share it. Yeah, it would be great to do that because it's a unique story. Mm-hmm. Well, I am so interested. I've been interested since you told me about it last year. <laughs> Did I? Yeah, that's why. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's why I asked you about in your in your aunt Vivian. Um, right. Yeah, because you shared a little bit of that when we we talked. And I think we talked my a grandmother times last that, year. That my grandmother fought off the clan, and you know she mm. was something mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Yeah. Preserve her oh. her school, and they built it down. She built it right back. So they burned yeah, it that's down. That's the one. Yeah, that's it down. you told us right. about. You told us about your grandmother, right? Yes, is it still standing? The Mooney School. Let's see. Well, there's some iteration of it, but it's not a school anymore. And I mean, they mm-hmm. we have bus trips in the country, and they show us these different landmarks. And this is where the Mooney School was, and yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that building is here anymore. But I have a daughter named Isabel, and she's working for Faith in Action. <laughs> so, oh, really? we're trying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, keep it moving. A good keep it, yeah. Keep it moving through the generations. <laughs> How many yeah, children do you have? My grandmother. Four. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you have, um, have Isabel Toyen, um, you have a son, and you have another Ak- child. Toye in New York, and Willie Ford, he's a pediatric surgeon, and he's moving back to Oakland after doing a fellowship at Children's Hospital L.A. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, my, that's my garden. Yeah. 
Wow. <laughs> oh, so lovely to catch up with you. Thanks so much for letting me know that you were being celebrated. 40 years. I, I didn't know that it had been that long. Wow. I know it didn't fly because, you know, you you gave us a few high points and we we still be talking if you gave us if you told us all the stories that you you could have, you could have shared, and so looking forward to well, more I stories on Wednesday. <laughs> right, we're gonna let some other people talk about it. <laughs> See what, what they want to put on the table. Yeah, so right, it'll right. be fun. It'll be fun, and um, mm-hmm. we have a couple of short movie clips to show and yeah it'll be nice. it'll be big fun yeah and we're raising mm-hmm. money for an endowment which i think is a mm-hmm. really bold move in these times but we want to make sure the organization is secure and the legacy goes forward into the future Definitely. so that'll be our first mm-hmm. endowment fund called the CLA Forever Endowment Fund so if anybody's interested in supporting our work they can look at our website again it's www.calawyersforthearts.org and you can donate or you can support another program but at this point our emphasis is on raising money for the future. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely because we want to you know, keep all those wonderful um, programs that, that you have um, been a part of initiating you know, well-funded so that they can stay alive and well. Yes, that's great. Yeah, thank you so much, Wanda, for this time. It's It's been a great conversation, good reconnecting with you. Can't wait yeah, to see so you lovely. again in person. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> One right. of these days. Get past exactly, but in the meantime, yeah, I'll see you in, I'll see you in the virtual world. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'm going to look for this, this conference, Carter G. Woodson's work, and you've told me so many things that are really great to look at. So I appreciate it. Oh, you're quite welcome. Well, you take good care. And again, congratulations and thank you so much for all of your wonderful work over these years. You're so kind. Thank you. <laughs> you're take welcome. Care. Peace and blessings. You too. Peace. <laughs> Peace. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. So we are going to close the show with... Um, Something from John Coltrane, um, Psalm, his Psalm Fourth Movement, um, and uh, yeah, I've got a couple of things here, but um, I'm not certain what it sounds like. And then today uh, at SF Jazz, they're going to be um, broadcasting uh, the concert, one of the concerts that Robbie Coltrane uh, curated um, at SF Jazz. So it's five o'clock. You know, on Fridays they have those wonderful concerts. Um, And so that's what this one is going to be. So um, definitely you want to catch it. Um, I think it's really reasonable. I think it's like $5. It's something something that most of us could probably afford. And it's definitely well worth um, worth the... the attendance because I was there in person and it was so, so beautiful. I wasn't able to get to all of the rest of the concerts sold out. No, actually, I think I went to two. I went to the one with uh, um, with Farrell Saunders, and Robbie played through all of them. And then I think I went to the next one the next day. Um, but anyway, it was it was really really fun. <laughs>